Hello there, welcome to episode number 42 of True Cult Pop, a lovely music podcast for your lovely bloody ears. It's me, Stephen Hill. I'm here. I'm in the place. I'm in the house. I'm joined as ever, as I, as I always am, by my main man, um, Left Said Fred, we've just been uh, just been <laughs> called. It's, <laughs> it's Gaz Jones. How you doing, Gaz? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> Trying not to be uh, outrageously offended by that, but hey, it's, you know, having hair is a gift. That uh, should not be abused. Definitely not. Definitely not. That's all I'm going to say. And joining us, ginger hair. Oh, mate! I tell you what. These days, you take any sort of any colour, would you? Fuck the colour. Don't care. Any colour. Yeah. Um, That voice you heard was the voice of one of two guests that we have on the show this week. Join us for for the first time on True Cult Pop from one of the UK's one of listen to me one of the uk's best metal bands the uk's best metal band more like mm. if anything um it's joe nally from urn how you doing joe yeah mate i'm all right yeah it's a rushed rushed home to do this isn't it so privileged to be a part of this sorry about that making you rush home that's <laughs> all right no you're, you're gonna you're gonna stay out and have a few beers after work and i made you drag you back in <laughs> yeah beers. big time the socials, the work socials, wine and dining. No, no, I can't, can't be bothered with all that now. I just look forward to getting home. Oh, <laughs> that's lovely. Love an early night, don't you? Love it. If there is one thing I love on air, it is an early night. That's that's why going on first at Bloodstock on the main stage is the ideal position for oh. you guys, isn't it? Second, second. Second. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, second. Uh, we're also later on. I had a chat with Lajon Witherspoon from Seven Dust. And the reason I've got Joe and we've got Lajon on the show is today we're going to be doing something a bit like what we do on our Patreon page, which I'm going to talk about in a second, um, where we do a beginner's guide. Today we're going to be doing a beginner's guide to an artist who both Joe and Lajon have sort of introduced me to. The one and only, one of the greatest vocalists and artists in the history of music. We're going to be talking about Sam Cooke and Joe, you're going to be giving us your kind of deep dive lowdown on the genius of Sam Cooke, basically, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, as much as I can do on a guy who died about 35 years before I was uh, born. I give it my best shot. I'm actually, I've got a massive portrait of Sam Cooke looking right over me right now. Yeah. So he is the, he is the man. He's pretty fucking good. He's pretty fucking good. Uh, before we get into it, we should say, go over, as I said, to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash truecockpop if you want to sign up for any of our exclusive content over there. Uh, this coming week on the suggestions, um, we have a little little present for you, wasn't it, Gaz? It certainly was. I can only apologise. <laughs> We're doing Prosaic by Honeycrack, the Brit Rock Nearly Men from 1996, wasn't it? Mm, certainly was, mate. The Did greatest it? year of all time. It's up Allegedly, there, mm, I would say certainly up there. Feel like I could prove that in a court of law. Um, yeah, Honeycrack, former members of Wild Hearts. You aware of Honeycrack, Joe? And a bit before your time? No, um, yeah, I was out that day, so I missed that. Gutted, gutted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's good. I'll give it a little little spin. Um, but yeah, I definitely even as a as a little kid, 1996 was big time. Stuart Pearce. Mm. Ball in all, mm. yeah. Stuart Pearce, the best album of the yeah, best man. album of '96. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Stuart <laughs> Pearce, the best album of 1996. Um, 
And also, if you sign up for our £5 tier coming this week, we've got a beginner's guide to Entombed. Basically doing a similar thing with what we're doing here with Sam Cooke, but with um, rather than kind of beautiful, soulful vocals, we're going to be talking about chainsaw guitars and nastiness, which I think is going to be a, a pretty fun time, actually. I can't bloody wait for that one. Looking forward Give to that. Give me the riffs. The riffs. You you into Entombed at all, Joe? Is that a bit more? Yeah, like, I, I don't mind this, like, a couple of records I like. Um, I wouldn't say I was like a big fanatic. I was meant to tour that Entombed AB when I was in Hang the Bastard, and we all just got injured the night of before the tour. It was a bit of a disaster, and uh, never never happened. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't mind. I've got a few vinyl laying here and there, but I'd be lying if I turn around and gone. Yeah, I'm a. I was just listening to other stuff. Yeah, and now I go back and try and get into it. I'm just like I feel like that point of me's I've passed that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I just listen to George Michael and chill out. You know, oh, good well, lad. Nothing good lad. Wrong, nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, we're going to try and do both me and Gaz over over the course of the week. So um, yeah, like I say, go over to patreoncom pop and you can sign up for that. Before we get into it, though, Joe, if we get into our, our choice of songs for this week, just wanted to say how excited I am um, that. A Feast of Sorrow is nearly upon us. 11th of August, your second album. Better than Master of Puppets, isn't it? Basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing, nothing to do, nothing to do with us. I mean, God, if I could write anything that would even touch a second of that album, I'd, I would die a happy man. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, we just got to write the best um, music. And um, I feel we've, comfortably uh, surpassed what we did with the last album in just a massive way. I think everything about it is, is better. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's whatever, three weeks away now. And um, I'm really excited for people to hear this. And I think, you know, it feels more important than anything that I've ever really had to work on before. And I think I've done press quite a lot recently. And from that, I can tell, I feel like this is going to be important. And um, yeah, it's nice. What's it like to be part of the UK metal scene? Good, is it? Well, no, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a stitch up. That's a private joke between Joe and I. I've just got to keep my head down and just focus on being the best metal band from Hastings. Well, I say Hastings, Streatham. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, I saw that little article. Did crack up, though, up and coming. Someone went, and a great band and friends of mine. What about Silosis? And I was like, oh, I could think of. My bollocks hadn't dropped when they started. Do you know what I mean? They've been around, they've been around for 22 years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I've been coming. Yeah, it's I funny. I, I do love reading comments on, on shit. I did, I did. So for those who, don't, who haven't seen, I did... Um, it's not meant to be like brand new bands, but it's meant to be like the yeah, best yeah. crop of, of modern metal bands from the UK. And someone went, well, oh, Sleep Token and... And Loathe have been around for a while, haven't they? And it's like, mate, fucking Ithaca and employed to serve and fucking Svalbard are on there. They've been, they they've been around for even bloody even longer than that. Just in, just enjoy good music, good metal from this country. You fucking someone got fucking where's windows. Judas Priest? Do you know what I mean? Where are they? Um. <laughs> Mate, talk to me about the Duplantiers and you being fucking best buds with with Joe Duplantier. <laughs> well, mate, like honestly, um, it's it's still pretty surreal to me. Like, not you know, obviously 
Joe working on it and, you know, them us being lucky enough to be taken out as a band of our size, you know, we're, we're not a major massive band and, you know, we're, we're not at the forefront of everyone's thinking, but the fact that I think we grabbed the attention of, of all bands, a band like Gajira, the band of that is just honestly doing them shows of them. They are, there's no better live metal band and it's almost comical watching them because it's just so perfect. Their live sound is unfucking real and great guy, really great guy. Um, super, super like normal, really friendly. And it's just all of them are like it. And it's, it's, it's something to, to be inspired by just watching how they, they go about their business, but remain like just top people, like top people. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, I, with what I touched on a minute ago, I can't wait for people to hear it. I can't wait to, for people to hear what Joe's done with it. Like the mix, the production, we, you know, he got in the, uh, engineered, um, engineered and mixed, uh, magma flew him over from like Switzerland. And I just think, I just think, and then they sorted out, um, Ted Jensen to master it. But I think what I'm pretty proud with, I mean, you've heard it. There's a lot of very clinical and quite cold feeling metal records that are so perfect that I feel like it doesn't have, sometimes you lose the personality, you lose a bit of passion. One thing I don't want, I mean, the moment I feel like my voice wouldn't sound like it had passion, I feel like we haven't got it right. But Joe's managed to capture a really raw sounding metal record. And he only picked certain bands to work with and he had nothing, we didn't know each other. And the fact that he picked us and what he's worked on, he's made it feel real. And I'm, I'm really proud of that, definitely. You should be really proud of it. Like, well, we won't spoil it here. I mean, like so I've heard it. I know Gaz, I've just sort of introduced you to Joe's work mm. only in the last couple of days. I know you haven't heard the full album yet, but looking forward to hearing the new Earn album? I know he's Can't Joe's wait. Spe- right there, <laughs> Yeah, no pressure. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the two tracks which are obviously on Apple Music I've listened to, um, like yeah, The Burden, fuck me. Now you've said like the, the, the kind of like Gajira kind of link, I'm like, oh yeah, I can see it. And the, the, the production on it is fucking crushing. Yeah. But like you said, it's got, it, it's got kind of, it has got soul and personality to it. You can still hear that it's, you know, it's a band playing. You know, it almost sounds like the band's playing live in the room. Do you know what I mean? But it, it, yeah, I can't wait. There are even some mistakes on the album, but Joe was like, leave it in. It's yeah, yeah. character. Make it human, man. Yeah, that's yeah. something that's being really ripped out of music. Yeah, yeah. and I think someone, I did see someone, I don't want to obviously go bad run about it too much. I did see someone say, like, for me, Erna, like, the only band who managed to capture that, um, like, the Gajira vibe without sounding like Gajira. They don't write songs that sound like them, but there's a real truthfulness behind the music and a real passion behind my my voice. And and that's for me, that's a pretty like big compliment. I can't remember where I saw it, but that was like, yeah, like I'm I'm pretty happy with that, you know. Yeah. It, it, so it was, should be. It it was me. I said that, definitely. <laughs> that was yeah. def- definitely definitely me. Delete that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um mate, it's really like, you know, um, We'll, I'm going to try and keep my powder dry because obviously it's coming out in a few weeks, so we'll be reviewing it when it comes out. But there's not many people know this, right? It takes a lot in metal to impress me these days. And 
the last album I was like, that's a lot to live up to. You know, better than Kill 'Em All. Can you believe it? And, and <laughs> um, sorry, man. That's gonna. <laughs> I know you have never said that, and don't. It's just. It's great. It's a great record. It's a great record. It's just people, stupid people, like to say daft shit, don't they? You know what I mean? Um, uh, but yeah, mate, a, a fucking great record. And I was a bit like, cool. How'd you follow this up? And I suppose getting the Duplantiers in to produce your your record and. Yeah, like I say, like like I said, sticking a kind of real heart and personality into music, which has become very clinical. I mean, I was actually very briefly going to talk about, oh, do you know, I, I felt like I should because they're such a big thing. I went to see Spirit Box. I went to see Spirit Box um, the, uh, the other day. And... Mm -hmm. I actually can't be bothered to even properly review it, but and, and they were quite good. They're, they're quite good at being sort of shiny rock stars um, and it all being quite polished and, you know, very kind of quite methodical. And I'm not as excited by that level of kind of professionalism, not even professionalism, but do you know what I mean? That, that level of like kind of sheen on a metal band is not as interesting to me. So, but that's just, that's just a personal preference. And, and I don't think you guys have that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think at the moment I feel like in any sort of music, I mean, funny enough, we're talk, going to talk about a soul singer who come from a, a gospel and religious background. But I think anytime your music, you, you can, you can just tell you pull it on and there's this, there's parts where I'm screaming and I know it's easy to go on about myself because it is my band. There's parts where I'm screaming where I desperately mean that. And obviously, you know, the subject matter of the album to some degree. And if I, you know, I want to record an album about, you know, heartbreak of, you know, family illnesses and whatnot, I need, I need, I need to believe it myself. And I need to know that some person sat wherever in the world can pull it on it and feel what I feel and be it, you know, a lot of my, I don't clean, I don't do so much clean singing on this, but what you can take from other people like your Sam Cooke show, it's Reddins and, you know, whoever, Dennis Edwards, you can just take, you can take that passion and that, that, the heart and that you mean it and you can put that into any music. And that's what, you know, myself and Angus try to put into these, these songs. And um, even down, you know, all the lyrics had to be perfect and um, had to be more perfect than they, than anything I've ever done. And, um, you know, I, I get what you mean, maybe with Spirit Box, personally, it's not my thing. I think it's, if I watched it, I'd feel, I'd maybe get a little bit bored after a while purely because I'd feel everything felt contrived. I need that thing that feels off the cuff. And I think going back to Sam Cooke, growing up doing them old gospel halls where you watch old footage of any gospel group, there's that energy and that building up and building up and they want that moment where it's just like this pure blissful spiritual moment and i got that from watching bands like gajira where you're like they, they mean this they all all of them mean that moment that hour and a half two hours they all mean that and sometimes there's only so many times i can watch a band who moved there at the same time this person goes here this person and i feel there's maybe i feel there's too much of that at the moment there's actually a lot more of it at the moment for us, we don't use backing tracks or any stuff. It's, you're going to see three guys who go up there, truly mean what they're doing. And um, again, for me, that's kind of growing up liking the music that I like and being honest. Mm. 
So there you go. Uh, Feast of Sorrow out on the 11th of August. Pretty exciting. We'll be talking about it when it happens. But before we get into the main chat, we've all picked a little airworm for the week. You know, I'm going to start with you this week, Gaz. I'm going to start with you. Hello. All Go right. On, let us know what you've been listening to this week. Um, well, it was it was over the or weekend. Rather, hold on, hold on. What you've been watching, I presume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I was I was I'd way too much to drink Friday night. Horrendously hungover, just scrolling through like the the YouTube homepage, and for whatever reason. An episode of season one of the mid '90s British sitcom called Game On appeared on my uh, on the uh, on the opening page. I was like, "Fuck me!" Bloody hell! How does YouTube know? <laughs> yeah, I've got a box set of it here. <laughs> you know, how does YouTube know all I watch is fucking '90s shit? How dare you? You know, how dare you watch be some sub- shit. Yeah. How dare you, how dare you, you know, you, you know, you bring up the assumption that I might want to watch this mid-90s sitcom that I haven't seen in fucking 20 years or whatever. And I, so, of course, I clicked on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for, for, what's the first thing that you hear is um, the seminal um, it, American indie one-hit wonders from the mid-90s called Gigolo Ants with an absolute fucking banger called Where I Find My Heaven. Yeah, mate, it's the only song <laughs> of theirs I know. What's, you don't need any more. You really don't. Don't, do you? <laughs> um, you must know this song then, Joe? Uh, maybe only through Game On. I, I, obviously, yeah. I don't even... What is it? The main Is it the main theme? Yeah, 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 it was the opening theme song, yeah. Heaven, where I find my heaven. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's weird, yeah. I mean, that is a classic show, and that's the first time, as a, as a fellow, you know, as a redhead, that was the first time I ever heard anyone referred to as a ginger tosser. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly not the last, I'm sure. Certainly not the last. Yeah, yeah no, exactly, every fucking day. Yeah. And I was like, God, what's this mean? Yeah. Dad? My dad ain't got ginger hair. What's a ginger tosser? You. Ah, glorious. Nice. <laughs> um, mate, yeah, I, I, I'm a bit, I think I'm a bit like, I don't think, other than the start and end of Game On, yeah. which I haven't watched since, oh my Lord, 1996, 97? Yeah. I mean, it was three seasons. You know, it was that, the first season was the one that had been was it Chaplin? Chaplin. And then he fucked off to Hollywood, didn't he? And, and made, like... Was the it truth, truth about, about cats, cats and dogs. dogs. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, I, I think this song was used in Dumb and Dumber. That's how a lot of people, like American people, would know this song, I think, because it was used you know, like quite heavily in the film, I think. Um, but, you know, if you're... Yeah, if you're, if you're English and, you know, <laughs> we're all on our 40s, <laughs> um, yeah you say to someone game on they'll be like where I found my heaven and uh, yeah you know having you know a massive teenage crush on Samantha Janus and yeah. you know the, the, it, some of it hasn't dated very well let's put it that way there's a lot of kind of you know sexism and you know outrageous fucking casual racism it's like fuck me one episode I, I did the episode I was like jeez you know there was a couple of episodes I remember remember going ah yeah yeah you know but it was yeah 
it was it was it was a, a show that everyone i just started i think at sixth form and everyone watched it everyone watched it at the time yeah it's so mad when a song from a yeah. band like yeah. i do not know anything about a gigolo ants mm. nothing i know i looked at they're from new york yeah. right yeah i don't who how the fuck like how did who, why why did this song who are they where yeah. they come from yeah how did this get picked for this like bbc2 samantha janus sitcom about a bloke who because he won't go outside will he yeah he's like yeah a, agoraphobic yeah he's agoraphobic yeah 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 so he won't go outside and they just use where i find my heaven in the start of them they're all kind of stood back to back and it's like yeah. the camera spins around them spins around. where i've found yeah. i don't think i even knew what the verses sounded like until i listened to it earlier <laughs> i was like oh is this what this song sounds like and then it came in where I've, and yeah. I was like, yeah 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 this this is the one i know this yeah yeah that's the only bit you need is don't bore us get to the chorus yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. That song. Um. I. I yeah. I. I mean, maybe it's the nost. You know, for me and you, lots it, of this is nostalgia, isn't it? It is. And we it just is. go. I'm. I'm going to do my very level best to pick something from this century next week. I promise you, <laughs> listeners. I fucking promise you, I'm going to pick something stupidly heavy and from the 21st century. From the third of January, 2000. <laughs> that's my cut off that's my cut off point uh, yeah because uh, it's sort of technically still the 90s anything yeah, prior to 9-11 sort of yeah, still the yeah, 90s isn't it yeah. um, anyway uh, mate I, I've I, we, we've got all the different music this week we've got the 90s the 80s and the, the 2000s and something but I'll get to I'll get to Joe's pick in a minute because I think that's probably the best one I right so do you know what I listened to the other week I think actually you texted me about it Joe you're like seen Ghost have covered um, Stay by Shakespeare's sister and I was like oh yeah and I listened to it it's got Patrick Wilson the actor on it and I I, I gotta be honest I I think Stay by Shakespeare's sister is, is a good song right yeah um, big hit back in the day but I listened to that the ghost cover and I don't I don't think much of it to be honest I don't really rate it I don't think it's great and I think I jokingly said, oh, they should have done Your History by Shakespeare's Sister, which is the better song, which made me go and listen to Your History by Shakespeare's Sister, which is the second single from the US-UK pop duo from their debut album, Sacred Heart, released as a single on the 17th of July, 1989. And I'm going to say it now. There are probably a few of you listening who go, Shakespeare's Sister are a one-hit wonder, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. At, this single got to number seven in the UK singles chart, right? So it's... It was, a, it was a pretty big hit in 1989. Good few years before Stay. I'm saying it. Better song. Much better song. What, than Stay? Yeah. Do you want crack? No, no, no. It's much better. It's clearly much better. Nah, nah. Nah, nah. Come nah, on, nah, it nah, is. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, it stay, is. stay is a fucking legit goth, dark pop banger. I'm not saying but it's the, not. But yeah, your, your history, it, I haven't listened to this in fucking ages. The second you sent yeah. it through... Immediately in my head, I just had that, yeah, history, now go for me. Just, just immediately. And it's just solo take... at the end. Woo, wee, woo. Yeah, yeah. That and, fucking I'm... Tom Morello solo, it's cracking. <laughs> that funky little guitar line, it, like the Prince guitar lick in the, um, ding it again, ding it again. It's brilliant. Ding it again, ding it again. Wonderful. Back me up on this, would you, Joe? Yeah, no, I, I didn't listen to that. Um, I felt like that was a song that, I remember listening to like when I was growing up and my parents would be like driving to like 
like a family friends and it'd be late at night or something or when we'd be going there it'd be playing in the car and I was like I've not heard that for ages <laughs> but I will say I don't think it's better than Stay good lad I just think maybe one song's been like overdone and that ghost version I was like okay and when it dropped they it was a cop out I was like you've got to get someone in there who's going to make that that second half of that song hit home instead it sounded like William Shatner reading a poetry or some shit. I was like, no, I'm not into this, not into this one. Get get the original back on. And um, but I do, I do think Stay is better. But I've not, I've not heard that song uh, since I was a, since I was a very little boy. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, when Steve dropped that in, I was like, oh, fair play. But um, I, as long as you enjoy it, that's the main thing, Steve. I fucking love it. I love it. I think I genuinely like stays great, right? Because it's weird as fuck. But this is just yeah, a yeah, yeah. slinky little, a proper fucking naughty little banger. This it's absolutely like a lovely little late eighties slinky soul pop fucking slinky bastard of a song. It's cracking. You should see me when you're not around. Fucking great, man. It's great. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bad karaoke. Um, it is fucking great, and it reminds me of just like just starting secondary school and stuff like that. But hormonally, yours like the second album, the one that's got "Stay on It," the one that's got uh, "I Don't Care" and "Hello, Turn Your Radio On." And you mm-hmm. know, I've I've got that. I bought that on vinyl a few years ago. I found it cheap in a shop, and it's it's such a good album. It's, it's a fucking, great album. It's a great album. It hormonally is, yeah. yours. It's fucking great. Um. And yeah, you know, obviously, it, you kind of forget sometimes. You know, one of them was in Banana Rama. Banana Rama. Yeah, man. Good really. times. Good times. Oh, Fucking good times. You don't know? That? Oh, okay, Did, didn't know that. No. Yeah, yeah. Siobhan, Siobhan Fahi. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was no G Banana. She. I know there's like a version of Shakespeare's sister still going, but it's just one of them. So. No, no, no. They reformed, I think, a few years ago. Oh, okay. You can't have Shakespeare without her sister. Do you know no. what I mean? It's not... mm. she, she's, married, she's married to uh, Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart, yeah. yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Plenty of Learning. info. <laughs> yeah, Learning. that's why you're here, mate. You <laughs> teach us about Sam Cooke, we'll teach you about banana ramen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the trade-off. Um... Right, Joe, save your song till last, mate, because genuinely, this is an incredible song. Yeah. A proper incredible song. Right. Well, I, sorry, lads, I've just got to get this on charge. Oh, so well, I'm going to move gonna... around. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh there's Sam Cooke in the background. He's, he's, he's oh, there the, he is. He's on the Shays Lounge now, for those of you who are listening. Yeah. All day long on the Shays Lounge. Anyway, go on. So, I pick. Uh, Mark Lanigan had an album called Gargoyle in about oh, 2018 to 17. And there's a track on there called Goodbye to Beauty. And I've been, I've been fascinated with it as a, as a, a, want to, a wannabe musician. Um, it's a very stripped back, simple song. And there's the way he sings it. There's, I feel like I'm in, in I'm in a, a scene with the guy, you know? So, I've got to tell you a story about it, which literally came to be just on Friday. And 
I think it's used in the last um, episode that Anthony Bourdain ever shot because I think Mark Lanigan's in there with him and he yeah. sings that song in like mm. a little club. Then it cuts mm. through to this kind of really spacey moment. So <clears throat> I, I listen to that song a lot and I have done for the last few years. So I think Friday morning I went to work and there's a little uh, independent coffee shop within my train station. So I go in there and I've got it on and put out the guy behind the counter, this this guy, Rob, probably about my age, lad from Yorkshire, loves his music. Um, you know, he's tried to do the band thing and whatnot a few times. And, and we always kind of talk about music. He's always playing vinyl in there. And uh, I'm like, right, see you later, Rob, blah, blah, blah. So I'm on the train and I use Tidal to, for my music. So I was just listening to it and I'd never checked out the producer. And it's the same producer that has pretty much done all of Mark Lanigan's stuff. And then there's a writer of the song, a bloke who, you know, pieced it together. I'm guessing Mark Lanigan did the vocal things. So I'm like, oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. Cool. Check it out. Copy, paste, put that in. It's the guy who served me in the coffee shop. No fucking way. Who wrote the way. song. Who wrote the song. No. And no, no, I, did, I couldn't believe it. I went into him on Monday and I was like, you all right, mate. I was telling the story and I went, you didn't, I was kind of blanking down. And I started to get to the point. You didn't happen to write a song called Goodbye to Beauty, did you? And he was just like, yeah, man. And I felt, I felt a thing about music for the first time in a long time. And to see him, and I think, I don't want to get, he said that he's been having a bad time. And I thought, you're this lad who I talk to every day. He runs a coffee shop, only a few hours, and he does whatever. And I think, you're sat there, and I think you've wrote one of the most beautiful, perfect songs I've ever heard. And you're sitting in a coffee shop in St. Leonard's, and no one knows. No one knows your, your... And he wrote, I think, eight songs on the album. And he's just this fucking lovely dude. And I got on the train. The moment when his picture came up, I was one stop away. And I had to message mates, like, you don't know what I've just felt about music for the first time in fucking ages. And it was like this most innocence of, of things. And the, the buzz I got just to ask him if that was him who wrote that song, mm. I was like building myself up the whole weekend to fucking like, how am I going to approach this? And I had to go because I didn't know if he was going to get upset about it or I was going to get upset. Oh, so I had to get out of there. I was like, my train's coming. There weren't even my train. There was no train pulling in. So oh, I've got to go. And I went and sat there and listened to it again. And it's compared to the rest of the album, the album there's some electronic stuff going on. And then there's this beautiful piece of music in the middle. And I just think it's just a song that I, I really, I really wish people, more people knew. And um, I said to him, I was like, you know, there's people, you know, we all write tons and tons of songs. And I write, you know, I like to think that I write some really good songs, amazing songs. But then if you ever write one of them, I'd, I'd be forever proud and um yeah I'm, I'm just I just thought it was amazing I just couldn't, I couldn't believe how weird it was that I was just there getting the car I'll see you tomorrow mate and I've known I've spoke to him for a couple of years now and the fact that I literally by the next stop I was like oh my fucking god just couldn't believe it that's mad I thought it was amazing <laughs> That's really that caught me. And honestly, guys, like, and I get, I have get, in my last month get to go out and play these amazing festivals, get to go to America and do these amazing things. But to have something catch me, 
like that for the first time in ages. Uh, I wish it was always like that. Yeah, I mean, I've not really listened to Mark Lanigan for a little while because it's been hard to listen to my like people who have listened to me for a long time will know I am just such a big fan of him solo screaming trees and whacking this on kind of approaching it for the first time in ages I was a bit like oh man I don't know if I can do yeah. this yeah <laughs> you know what I mean and yeah. but I have listened to it a bunch of times because it's just the kind of song that you listen to it and you go I fucking treat myself and listen to it a couple of times. It's incredible. Shimmering, beautiful, wonderful, wonderful song. And yeah, he's just the just the best, isn't he, Mark Lanigan? Fuck. Yeah. I just feel it's weird. I feel like now I know the guy who wrote the music and all that with him. And I I, I think he produ- actually produced the song as well. I don't know what the kind of ins and outs are. I feel like honoured every time I fucking listen to it. And they wrote it like he was just sending him music and he was just emailing back going yeah this is fucking amazing and that's how they made the album fucking hell Gaz you like this one do you? yeah I love it even more now that's one of the coolest stories I've heard in fucking ages I mean I've you know I've always adored Mark Lanigan I, I, I love the fact that you brought up like the Bourdain stuff as well at the start of that because yeah that um yeah that that hit me fucking hard man you know when I sort of yeah, yeah. the other day Bourdain died and stuff you know but uh and I've I've always been a Lanigan fan you know I've always you know for the first time I've, I think I you know from buying the single soundtrack and hearing nearly nearly lost nearly lost you and um I mean it's it kind of sticks out a bit on this album, I think. I mean, you know, really it's kind of an album like full of, you know, like dark electronica, and there's, you know, there's a bit of like kind of like, you know, that, you know, um, but it's it's a proper like minimalist gem, and uh, that yeah, that battered croon, the way it just melts over the beautiful guitars. I mean, you know, I, I was gonna kind of quote one of the lyrics, but it's just mad that. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, did did Matey from the coffee shop? Did he write the lyrics as well, or was it just like the backing music? I think or? I think he wrote all the music, and I think right. Mark Lanigan from I Can Gather wrote the lyrics, and they okay. worked on the phrasing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. on 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 the bandstand alone, the conductor laments. It just it fucking yeah. kills me, man. It's just it's just despairing beauty, and yeah, it is. Sorry. I'm sorry for everyone listening. I've I brought it down to a, a sort of level, but I feel like you know there's there's so many amazing people that who who've never had a chance to kind of have their name out there who write things. And the you know this guy I know like in the shop, I, th- I think he was signed to like Noel Gallagher's label or some stuff. I don't I don't know the full full ins and outs, but I'm just I'm like fucking hell. Like what 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 I think he's wrote stuff with. Um, if you look look into him, there's stuff like, on his own album. He's got guys from Depeche Mode singing on it. Wow. Mark Lanigan sings on his album. All these amazing musicians sing on this guy's album. And he's just, people want to work with him. And he just yeah. works in independent, he runs an independent, his own coffee shop, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I'm like, fucking hell. And for someone I feel like, I, I sort of feel like I've been in that shoes for a long time where me and Angus have always done bands, be Hang the Bastard beforehand. Not so much Hang the Bastard because we joined that just to, just to have an experience, having mates in bands who've gone on to do all this stuff, kind of patting us on the back going, why? 
And I'm like, thank fuck I've got a thank fuck I finally got a chance, you know, on an on a level. And I felt like I could relate to this guy where I'm like, fucking hell, you're this amazing talent and no one knows. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking hell, great. Beautiful, man. Um that is a good segue into what we're gonna talk about, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to talk about we wanted to get you and LJ's coming up in a bit as well to talk about Sam Cook. I mean, basically, um, Sam Cook is without question one of the most influential artists of all time. Um, born in Mississippi on the 22nd of January 1931, passed away on the 11th of December 1964, released 11 studio solo albums uh, as a solo artist, two live albums, which I'm sure we'll get to, 49 singles, and this year by Rolling Stone magazine was named the third greatest singer of all time um i've suddenly been going down a massive sam cook rabbit hole as inspired by yourself before we get into it joe uh, and we we give people kind of your beginner's guide to where you should start and where you should go with sam cook when did you discover sam cook and when did you first get into him well i think growing up um in a household where no one was really into rock and metal um my mum was a fan of uh you know soul music motown music she also liked you know bowie and what have you so i think there was bits and bobs being played when i was younger um and certain songs that stick out out to me and then um when i was growing up it was always like for every sort of metal record i'd have i'd have something else to i would go and buy something else to go alongside it and i think i brought oh a Sam Cook collection. Now there's one out there that's fuck like amazing. It's 32 tracks and it's got a beautiful picture on the front, but it, it wasn't that this one was, I can't, I can't remember. It was just a yellow cover and it's got Sam Cook smiling on it. And I, I remember buying that and I was just like, and I was obsessed with Sam Cook and I was obsessed with the drifters, like obsessed with the drifters. And then I kind of listened to it and I thought, God, oh, there's a couple of great songs. Then I started working uh, for my godfather's, he uh, worked in a music company. And in our office, from the age of, I literally left school kind of a bit early, um, or, or sixth form, what have you. And I started working at 16 and we'd always play different music. So we'd always learn. And that's a great thing about music. Fucking don't pigeonhole yourself to one thing. Always pay, try to pay attention, apart from if it's absolute fucking, we all know there's proper dross that that's never going to happen, but the amount of stuff I was learning. So one day I think another Sam Cooke collection come through and I was like, Oh yeah, I like a bit of Sam Cooke. And it just, we played it in the office and then we played it again. And it was like, we just played it and played it. And it felt like we played it every day for months and months. And then that's when it really started. Um, the kind of the obsession really kicked off from there. And so much so, I mean, I've spent a lot of money on Sam Cooke's vinyl books, large fucking prints, imported prints. And, um, you know, it's, it, it, it became, you know, the problem is there's not, there's not more out there than what you can just really get. You can just go and get your vinyls and that there's no like kind of, you know, like rarities that you could kind of buy but it was just an obsession mate. it was just it made me feel good but then there's the songs that he has that really touches on the emotion so I felt like it was perfect for me and then from there I start. I went back into like his gospel past and that's where you really 
get to hear him, I think there's some great stuff because he wasn't always the lead person. But, you know, you might have someone up front in the Soul Stirrers who had a really gruff, heavy voice, but you could always hear that Sam Cooke harmony in the background cutting through. And that was, for me, that that's exciting. Then all of a sudden, you know, that, that voice in the background starts to get pushed more and more forward. And then, yeah, I just started researching and I've been seeing some great uh, theatre plays on him. One of them recently got turned into a film. And um, yeah, I just think, and it's, it's a shame. It's a bit of a mad life. It's a bit of a mad ending to his life. And obviously, like, as a as a, a white male living in today's times, I couldn't, I would never be able to understand what he was going through, what was about to happen, what could have happened. The ending is very weird. There's some really great documentaries. It just does, stuff just doesn't add up. And it just became just a bit of a, an obsession and um, of mine for some, for some time. <laughs> So yeah, and now I'm I'm here. Gaz, uh, are you a fan? Because I sort of sent you through, and you were like, oh, I've been meaning to kind of do more mm. on Sam Cooke for a while. So what's, before we get into the albums and the songs and stuff, just to give people your kind of relationship with him as well. Um, I think I, I first, when I said I said this to you, the first time I became aware of Sam Cooke was um, the the mid eighties uh, sci fi classic uh, Inner Space. Yes. When yeah, when you know he's he's in Martin Short's it was Martin Short, wasn't it? It was Martin yeah. Short and Dennis Quaid. Dennis, Dennis Quaid, Quaid yeah, is yeah. inside. Yeah, Martin yeah, Short he was in Martin Short. Yeah, thing. Martin Short's kind of body and stuff, and uh, all of a sudden, like he starts playing like Sam Cooke songs, like he hooks up to his like ear canal or something, and then all of a sudden, Martin Short's walking around. He could just like, can you hear that? Can you hear Sam Cooke? And it would be like twisting the night away and, and Cupid's. And um, I think Ross Stewart does a horrendous cover of Twisting the Night Away over the end credits. How fucking mid 80s is that? Fucking hell, shit. I knew the uh, the Live at the Harlem Square uh, Club album. I know it's kind of like just so insanely revered as like one of the greatest live albums of all time. But it, it, what's been really nice is, is kind of, like you said, kind of sort of going down this rabbit hole over the past week or so, um, and just not only like listening to a lot of the tracks that Joe's recommended, but but also realising that I knew so many more Sam Cooke songs than, know, you know, right? than I actually realised, apart from, you know, the standards, you know, Cupid, Twisting the Nightways, so, you know, Meet Me at Mary's Place, you know, stuff like that. It's just like, oh, fuck it, I've, I've known this song for years. Jesus, I didn't even know it was, you know, didn't even know it was a Sam Cooke song. Mad. What I think's great as well, like, with him, you start to notice how many films and adverts his yeah. music has appeared in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there was some, there was a, a program that come out, oh God, it was about the assassination attempt on, on JFK or something. Mm. Um, I can't remember what it was. It had like numbers as the title, and it, there's a Sam Cooke song used in that. And all of a sudden, it was just like, oh my god, I can't think what it's called. Oh, is that 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 um, a lot of uh, what's his name? Um, uh, James. Franco. Yeah, it, yeah, based. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. It's, yeah, based on the Stephen King book. It's fucking. I love that mini series. That was great. Um, Eleven, ten, sixty-three or something. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love and there's that. A song, that was fucking great. Um, yeah. I think it's in that. I think it's the song. That's where it at. It also, that's, yeah. it also, it comes in and it just takes a scene and just makes that yeah. scene more. You yeah. know, yeah. and then 
yeah, sorry, sorry to cut you off. No, yeah. that's, that's good, good. Good, good times used on the Pizza Hut advert as well, I believe, back in the day. <laughs> Mate, I feel like a lot of them have been used in bloody Hovis adverts. Do you know what I mean? Like now, yeah. and I'm old. I feel like they're always using that, but there's always a sound clip song is always on an advert. There's like a big advert at the moment, and I can't remember what song it is, and it's just it's a sound clip song, and it's just yeah. I mean, God, he's a state must be loving the money. Yeah, right. Fucking hell. Yeah. Any old advert, get it on there. Well, let, let's kick off with, I asked you what we're going to do is where to start, underrated, an album to avoid, an all-time classic, and you've got a couple of other things, and you've got some else as well that you want to uh, recommend to people. So let's start with where you should start, which is um, Ain't That Good News from 1964, the 11th and final album released by Sam Cooke, only 10 months prior to his death. And I believe it was the first material that he recorded post the very tragic death of his young son as well is that right mm-hmm. yeah i was going to touch on that funny enough um since in my notes yes um obviously being the final the final album um you know it i, I what i find it's it's a shame because i think all of a sudden there's certain songs obviously a change is going to come um good times all of a sudden i, I feel like there was a bit of a, a difference in the music and i I can always think, oh, what would the next 10 years have been like? I think he would have started to release maybe less music, but the quality would have been, would have been like just getting better and better. And I just think, oh, when you see people like Marvin Gaye was popping up and Temptations kind of started doing that thing. And then they also turned into that slight psychedelic funk kind of sound. I'm like, oh, what would Sam Cooke have done? Hmm. But yeah, this, this being his last album, um, Another Saturday Night, just a great feel good song. Good Times, again, another great feel-good song. Uh, you know, it, as soon as it comes in, it's straight in there. That's what I like about a lot of Sam Cooke songs. It might start off with a little drum fill or what have you, but it gets straight to the point of the song. And before you know it, it's infectious. This voice that is so smooth and it's, it's like water flowing and you it just can cheer you up. But on the other side of it, um, the... You know, you've got the final track, uh, the Riddle song, and that's a a really, it's a really, I don't know, there's a sadness to it. And I think there's a a few key lines for me. And there's also one live version of him performing this. And I love it because the camera is really close to his face. And there's some bits, when when you know someone is killing it, like when you would watch a video of someone and they know, they know they've got it. Like you've watched Tina Turner videos and there's some, there's some bits where you're like, she knows she's on it. She's smashing it. And there's, there's a video of Sam Cooke doing it and the Riddle song. And as Steve touched on, it was maybe, I can't remember how long it was after, after the death of his son who, who drowned, I think at three years of age. But there's a lyric in it and I, I wrote it down earlier. And watching this performance, which I think was the only time he performed it live at all, um, there's a lyric, how can there be a baby with no crying? And it's just, I just think there's just something about it. And watching that performance, always, I watched it today. And it, there's something about it, because everyone knows him as the kind of swinging his arms and kind of jiving and getting into it. But then there's something where just watching him sitting on a stool with no one behind him, um, I feel like that was a really powerful, powerful thing. And obviously... <clears throat> Again, Tennessee Waltz is on that album. Great song. Just a great feel-good song. And 
but the big moment a change is going to come yeah yeah we, we we obviously have to talk about this i think that's surely the uh, the, the definitive sam cook song of all time right i i think i i i mean i think it is clearly and there's there's other people who've tried to cover it but the thing is what i find with other people be it otis redding fucking al, al green they overdo it so you lose that you're, you're forcing this weird passion but the kind of more the kind of growly sort of shouting type what makes sam's one different the strings at the start sound so haunting it starts off it all of a sudden you're in a place where it sounds sad it sounds haunting but when that drops and there's that opening line i think that's i think that's the most perfect moment in music history and i think if if he had never passed the power that guy would have had because of that song at that time with everything going on when people people you know black people in america obviously again something we we'd never have to live through i can't imagine but you look at the time you had your muhammad ali your malcolm x your sam cooks there's a famous poet as well and i think he might have even got killed i can't I can't recall his name and i think if he had not got killed in whatever way and that song had come out i god knows god knows how powerful that would have made him but i felt like all of a sudden he found his purpose with that song and it's inspired by blowing in the wind by bob dylan and the whole thing of it's like you know how's a white guy writing a song for us you know mm-hmm. the song for our, our folk like how can i want to do that and he used to cover blowing in the wind there's a few live versions of it as well and then he did his kind of answer to that and there's so there's some if i just sit there and just read it but there's that that, that whole line i think fucking hell it's been a long time coming but i know a change is going to come and then you sit there fast forward 50 years and you've got Obama saying the same thing. How? How? How are we still? How are we still saying the same thing fifty years later? Like it's and there's still so much trouble going on. And it's it's such a shame. But I think that song is so it's so powerful. I think it's the most perfect song um, ever. I think his performance on it. He sings it just right. And again, no no slander to your Otis Reddings and whatnot it's a bit more OTT, a bit forced. Whereas all he needed to do is just sing it perfect, perfectly clean, perfectly clear. And that message really was really driven home. Um, there's an isolated vocal track on online, which you can hear some of the music in the background, but it's just, it's, it's as perfect as I think it can be. I mean, it's, it's in the hall of fame. It's, like whatever one of the most 50 is there's loads of things that it's a part of um but i think he performed it live once and they taped over it if i remember reading they taped over it was it was recording on a on a, on a johnny on a, carson wasn't it yeah and i think they yeah. they record they record over it and i'm like you fucking idiots <laughs> and it's weird like almost I want to know more about the song. I want to hear every isolated track, but then I shouldn't want to because it's perfect. Mm. It doesn't need to be touched. And um, I can't, 
I, I can just imagine like, you know, people at that time hearing that song and feeling some empowerment. But then I can obviously picture the fucking muggy toss of white people being scared because they should have been scared. And they probably should have felt, you know, they probably were felt some relief that that guy had been shot because I just think it would have been as powerful as it was. I think it would have been, a, a, I, can, I can only imagine what it would have meant if, if, he was, if he was alive. Its power comes from its kind of acceptance and it's like, it's not actually, I mean, you listen to, you know, 25 years down the line, you get Public Enemy or something and it's angry. And it almost feels like Sam Cooke knows that he, at that point, he, in his situation, he wouldn't even be allowed to be angry at that point. Oh. And when you say like, what happens next? When I think, you know, he dies and then seven, eight years later, Vietnam happens and the Black Panthers come in and you look at someone like Richard Pryor and the way that he changes his act. And I just think like, fuck, we, we were robbed of that Sam Cooke from that era. And mm. that, like yeah. you say, would have been fucking fascinating. Um, Gaz, what do you reckon of this record, mate? Oh, I've just been just sat here, just like just transfixed, listening to you know, hanging on to Joe's every word, man. You're an educated guy when it comes to Sam Cooke. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, it's yeah, it's sad because yeah, like you said, it's you know what what could have been, what might have been, you know, what would you know sam cook's kind of music kind of you know how would it have because you know he was already starting to explore kind of musical avenues on this album you know with the kind of sort of like like new orleans kind of sound on meet me at mary's place um you know tennessee waltz is amazing i think there's a lot of kind of like pent-up emotion that was released on here you know obviously due to the death of his um his son vincent's um but yeah you know a, a change is going to come it's just it's one of the most perfect kind of soaring gospel tracks ever, ever recorded. And it's another one that I, I hadn't, I hadn't listened to it in a long, long time. And it still just absolutely floors me. And it's, it's so sad as in, you know, what, what could have been. I mean, I mean do you think he, he could have, you know, gone like toe to toe with people like you know Marvin Gaye and stuff like that when like what's going on came out at the start of the 70s and stuff like that do you think that Sam Cooke could have gone toe to toe with with that kind of music do you think he, how, how do you think his music might have changed you know during that insane era of change I think with him so he was a guy a really smart clued up guy bought his publishing had a record label mm. he had control but he was also bringing through and giving the next sort of generation of young black artists the opportunity. I feel like, I honestly feel like, I don't know what musically he would have done, but I feel like he would have taken a bit more of a back, you know, a back seat to okay. what was going on. I don't know if he would have, I felt like he would have really given everyone, you know, it's not about him. It's about the next crop in the next generation. Mentoring. I, yeah. And I think there's a lot of that, and I've touched on something I'll talk about uh, later, um, which I put on the notes to Steve. And I think, I really think he would have maybe, again, I don't know if what he would have done musically, but know the whole, 
Motown thing. Everyone goes into this one house and they walk out and there's going to be one hit. You know, <laughs> someone's going to walk out of a hit. Yeah. I feel like Sam might have done something more like that. Um, but I feel like he was giving a lot of chances from to a, a lot of young gospel singers that were coming out. Um, musically, I think, obviously, he wrote a lot of his stuff as well and co-wrote. If he'd got the right people around him, what he would have had is a bit of a, you know, with his vocal style being a bit more softer and effortless. I really, it would have been interesting to see what he would have done. Um, obviously, Marvin Gaye had some great, uh, like, some great flipping songwriters, producers around him. But I really can't imagine it. But I just felt like he would have really been clued up into what he was doing because everything he put into place to know early on, actually, I'm going to produce my songs, be it the Soul Stirrers, I'm going to write my songs and I'm going to own my songs at a time when I'm probably sure a lot of people were like, I just want to have a song out, yeah. you know? So rare as well. Like, I mean, it's worth Smart saying that he fucking wrote these songs, you know, like, like you say, when you get that kind of the Motown, the Barry Gordy model that's coming along where it's like, we get these, we get the best musicians and we get the best songwriters and we just go, there you go, that's, that's for this vocalist. That's for them. That's for that. And yeah, yeah, you know, Sam Cook is not that. He fucking writes his own songs. It's kind of his. I guess that him. Well, then there weren't many of them. You know, there weren't many of them back then. It's it's fucking mad. But yeah, as a record, it's brilliant. I do think you know, change is going to come. Is obviously just such a such a fucking high bar for literally yeah. any musician ever. That's no that that's no hyperbole either. It is literally like bring me any bring me anything, and put it up against that, and it's going to be like yeah, it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think it'd be very hard to find any song that had that a message that would mean that much to millions. Then millions five years down the line, yeah. millions fifty years later, and. I, I mean, I think, you know, you can take a bit, I, you know, I take inspiration from that song, you know, obviously it's not, it's not written like really for myself, but as a music fan, you know, I can take bits and feel like some, some comfort in that, but I, I just can't think of a song that would mean that much. And I can only imagine what it would have meant to people back then that someone was writing for them to give them some sort of hope and promise yeah it's mad isn't it so there you go uh ain't that good news from 1964 start there uh an underrated album uh joe you've gone for twisting the night away i think this is generally much more upbeat throughout i think this is sam cook's eighth album from 1962 only two years you know before we get ain't that good news so you know prolific um the title track you will know obviously um i think there's a there's a few songs on this that i think people will, will definitely know i mean this is kind of classic sam cook when i think when people think of sam cook um his beautifully raspy vocals on a song like somebody have mercy is fucking yeah you know you just like, great, this yeah. guy's got such a great voice man so um yeah go on give us a lowdown on this one um yeah again like i think this is kind of like prime having a good time with Sam. Uh, I get twisting the night away. For me, it's a record. You could whack on the record player, cooking on a Saturday night, 
just having having a few beers with your friends and that being on the background, it, it makes you feel good. Straight away, the second track is Sugar Dumpling. And it's just, I don't know, it's a really lovable record. It's a really like, uh, you're kind of your sweetheart, your crush record, you know, get, send them some songs. Um, and, you know, you touch on Somebody Have Mercy On Me. I, I think that's, I know everyone will know Twisting The Night Away, but Somebody Have Mercy On Me just makes me, I don't know, there's, there's something about it, um, but there's, I've, if I, I think there's one or two covers on this, which as, as a quick tie-in, like I say, there's one or two covers. I think there might be one or two covers on most of his albums, but um, he did, it's very hard to find. He covered Unchained Melody before the Righteous Brothers. Give that a go. Mm, wow. It's, wow. Uh, it's, um, it's a very... It's a very, 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 very good version. And I think only one singer could have topped that, you know, or one group uh, could have topped that. But yeah, it's, um, I think it's just a very, very classic Sam. Uh, and it's just a very feel good, feel good album, I think so. And it, the way it just starts off with Tristan Night Away, what a way to start an album. Mm. <laughs> it's just, mm. wow, straight in there. And as I said, for me, you're having a Saturday night in and you've got some people around, just whack it on and you'll feel good within probably about two seconds of that record coming on. 27 minutes long as well. It's like, you know, almost kind of punk rock in how fucking, yeah. how, how much it kind of just balls along, you know? And I just had to check the last track. That's it. I quit. I'm moving on. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. It's, it's bookended so amazingly well. Um, unlike, you know, the album we just spoke about where there's one or two sad moments or kind of, you know, kind of brings everything down and makes you look at things differently. This will just make you feel good and cheerful. Gaz, do you enjoy this? Surely you did. Fucking loved it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, but it is a bit of a, you know, a classic case of, you know, what a lot of record labels were doing at the time, you know, cashing in on, you know, the twist craze. Um, but... Sam Cooke just makes it accessible and fun. Just fun, mate. It's just fun, good, awesome party music. It, and it's 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 fuck. It's so timeless. You know, Twisted the Night Away. Yes, it's a standard, right? But it still sounds absolutely fucking box fresh. You know, yeah, yeah you know, and, and when that sax solo kicks in, man, I dare you not to play air sax. I was doing it in the fucking van, a little bit dangerous. <laughs> Don't do that, kids. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, keep the hands on the wheel. You know, listen to what Jim Morrison said. Um, you know, yeah, you know, somebody had mercy, um, sugar dumpling, they're great songs. I do think they're done better on kind of like live albums in the future yeah. like an album we're going to be talking yeah. about in a bit spoiler but it's it there's this it's just absolute joy and yeah it, it 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 doesn't fail to kind of lift you you know i was out you know i was having a bit of a tough day today and listening to because i've i've done a um i've done like a an accompanying kind of playlist that will go out hopefully go out with this episode as well well i've I've just yeah. i've just bunged on all the sam cook tracks that you recommended to steve <laughs> and i'm just just putting that on when i was driving home and it's yeah i think one of the last tracks on there is twisting the night away just as i was kind of pulling into you know where i live and it was just like yeah 
It's going to be all right, son. It's going to be all right. Yeah. That, that is it. It, it. Another great time for me to play it is on a, on a, I said about on a Saturday night, sometimes on a Sunday morning if the weather's lovely, blinds up, get the yeah. food cooking, put some soul stirrers on or, or whatever, some early sound cook. And it's just like, yeah. Cheers me up. Yeah, big you, time. Big you, time. You can listen to both of these albums within an hour. You could get up at half eight, by half nine, you've had a shower, you've had a wash, you've you had them on the background, you cleaned up and whatnot, you made yourself some breakfast and you've listened to two fucking cracking albums. So I think that's a, mm. that is a good morning. If you're listening to this podcast, the day it comes out and tomorrow is Saturday and you're thinking, oh, I don't yeah. like Fuck, do that. Do, do that. It. You'll have a lovely time. Do it. Um, so there you go. Under, underrated as well. Twisting the night away. I actually do one for a void. Is there much Sam Cooke stuff that that is worth, that you would avoid? 100%. Yeah. And it's not his fault. Um, <clears throat> the uh, Live at the Copa um, compared... I know it's a live album. Um, it's great, great track listing um, there. Um, let me, I mean, some of the songs, uh, When I Fall in Love, beautiful version uh, that he does of that. Um, this Little Light of Mine, uh, Blowing in the Wind, great. No, Tennessee Waltz finishes off and when I, you know, I'm sorry, I've touched when I fall in love. If I had a hammer, that's a great song. If anyone's never heard it, if I oh. have a hammer. Um, yeah. Amazing. Like hmm. I, 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 I will stick up for this album on the basis of that version of if I had a hammer, which yeah, you no, know, yeah. Sam, Sam Cooke delivers that with the fucking joy de vive that you rarely hear. Like he is so fucking into that. And there's a couple of times where he fucks up the words as well. And he just is like openly laughing and being like, and it's so raw and it's so live. And I, I know what you're going to say about this album, right? Well, but that that alone, that track alone, I'm like, I'm I'm having it, man. I'm having it. Yeah, I, it. There's the thing is, there's a killer. It's, there's a really great track listing. There's a um, there's he does uh, fucking you send me. Uh, there's, there's a few other bits, but this is recorded in. It's recorded really well, really clear. He sounds great, but he sounds like he's just there to sing. And I think it's a time when it was a very, uh, a very white only club, yeah. um, a bit of a lack of atmosphere, you know, especially when you can hear like maybe plates like and glasses like chinking together and that. And it's just, he's just there singing perfectly. And you can tell a difference when Sam, when Sam's into it, I think vocally and giving it, because his voice live, it gets a little bit more, a little bit more gruff, and he's, yeah. there's a lot of laughing, and there's a lot of energy. You can feel the difference. Where this, it's just a very well recorded, and it's not to avoid. It's just if I had to pick one out of everything he done, um, but it's just the atmosphere from the crowd. It's just very. We're here to wine and dine, and to be rich. Your our entertainment for tonight. And it gets spoke about. If you look back in Sam Cooke, like folklore, everyone was like, it was the Coke Club. It was your big chance. We just went up there and it was just absolutely fine. And it's it's the one to avoid because the live album that was next, which come out maybe, uh, Steve, you might know the date, uh, like 20 years after he died. Mm-hmm. That's why if... Avoid this if I was to put Live at Copa or Harlem just 
take Harlem. Mm. Don't think about it. Just take it. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to let Gaz have his say on um, live at the Copa first, and then we'll just we'll, we'll move on. I I actually think this is all right because I like hearing I like hearing Sam Cook kind of almost really having to work this crowd who are not giving him much back. Bobby Womack is on Qatar, by the way. Bobby oh, Womack. Wow. From the right, yes. And there's a, obviously, by the way, there's a bit of a history there. Um, but Bobby Womack also, you know, um, that's where it, that's where it's at. That's him. He wrote that opening lick, and there's I think there's a video of him just playing it somewhere, and it's wow. Yeah. Oh, I adore Bobby Womack. What do you reckon of this one, then, Gaz? Um, I mean, you know, the whole the whole kind of sort of story to, leading up to it is is kind of I don't know, you know, like s- staying away from like you know the white clubs, especially clubs like the Copa for years, you know, and the only reason he did it is because he was inspired after watching Nat King Cole go down really well <laughs> at these yeah. kind of venues. Um. I don't know if it was as a result that it was going to be pretty much a fucking white audience that, you know, it was kind of, it was a set kind of based more on kind of standards and show tunes. And, it, it, you know, it, it's mad, you know, there's no bring it on home. There's no Cupid. <laughs> fucking mad. Fucking crazy. Um, but yeah, it's, but yeah, it's it, it, I don't know. Sometimes, it, like I said, with the kind of sort of clattering of the plates and the kind of polite applause, it almost sounds like canned audience. Yeah. In, in a way. Um, and, I mean, you know, it, it's mad, isn't it? it I, I could be wrong here, but this was the only live album released in his lifetime. Yeah. Which is, oh, which, yeah. is, is which, which is fucking ridiculous. Mm. The, the one that is like the all-time classic, it was like, what, 20 years after he, after he, yeah, after yeah. he died? Mm. Which is fucking... Record companies, eh? Ah. Yeah. Well, let let's fucking get into it then, because I think as well the thing about live at the Copa is is that even though it's all right, you know, I I listened to it and I was like, you know, it's all right, it, it's pretty good. Like he sounds good, it's good. Like there's some good songs, you know, obviously great songs and stuff. The problem is is that when you've got an album like what Joe has picked as the essential classic Sam uh, Cook, Sam Smith, Sam Cook. Chill out. So, yeah, Sam Cook. <laughs> definitely not Sam Smith. Sam Cook release, which is live at the Harlem Square Club, um, which was recorded on the 12th of January 1963, but didn't come out until June of 1985, right? You're looking at 22 years after it's recorded and 21 years after his death. It's absolutely batshit insane that they would have held on to this for so long. I... I it's baffling. It's absolutely baffling. Um, Sam and I... Can you imagine, imagine the buzz all of a sudden uh, being at that time and there's an unreleased Sam Cooke album's coming out, live album, and getting that. Yeah. I mean, Sam and I have spoken about this uh, when we did the best ever live albums and neither of us had heard it at the time. And it was, I think it was actually you who texted me and was like, you better put that in. And we hadn't heard it. <laughs> And we put it in and we listened to it and we were both like fucking out. And even though we put it to a, a vote and it lost the vote, we were still like, nah, you're wrong. I think it was against the Rolling Stones. It was against the Rolling Stones live album. And we were like, don't care. This is this is better. This is yeah. absolutely 
incredible. Just to touch on, because you mentioned the Rolling Stones. So he signed Womack Brothers. They had wrote some songs and Rolling Stones were about to blow. So he went, let them cover two of your songs. Big time. He was like, trust me, boys. And they were like, but there are songs. He was like, trust me. And I can't remember what songs that is, but he, the, the Rolling Stones come over to America covering Womack songs. And Sam Cooke was like, just let them, you're publishing, you'll have a great time. And that was his, that was his thing. He was like, trust me. Smart guy. So he let the Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah. The guy, the guy was fucking on it. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry to cut you off, Steve. No, no. I mean, I was going to say this, people have heard me talk about this a little bit already, but it's just, it's fucking incredible, this. Incredible. Like the energy is mental. I mean, again, like talk, talk me through your reason for, as if you need to, but like talk me through why this is a classic. Well, straight off, just to go the set list of Feel It, Chain Gang, Cupid, uh, I can't fucking, for sentimental reasons, it's all right, Twisting the Night Away, Somebody Have Mercy on Me, Bring It On Home To Me, that version might be one of the greatest live things ever. Nothing can change this love having a party mm. it is i can't imagine the energy of being in a club like that night mm. the difference is going into a club that was with young excited black people who were seeing that guy and it wasn't a club where he wasn't wanted it was a club where this is our guy this is the our hero the screaming the energy it's like it's almost i listen to this and I feel like you can feel the sweat in the room. You, I can imagine him, and it, he doesn't sing it perfect because he's he's buzzing. His voice is a little bit harsher on this instead of that kind of pure, like perfect smoothness he has. There's an energy, and the best way is just to put on the minute leading up into "Bring It On Home to Me," the building, and when it drops, ah, oh, fucking hell! And what's different with that? The album version's got Lou Rolls singing alongside him. When you listen to it, there's two singers singing uh, Bring On Home To Me. It's weird because I never used, I never really think about it. You've got two guys singing it together, but this version is just Sam. But I feel like when I touched on it earlier, when you see someone who knows they're smashing it live and there's a look, there's like a, I'm on it. I'm not, you can't even see, but I feel like you can, you know what he's doing and you, you you can just listen to it and you know that guy has absolutely smashed it and he knows he has. It's a perfect, perfect set. It's perfect set. It's, and what I love I love about it is just the energy and hearing these young youthful people, the the passion you can feel from them because it's that guy making it, you know. And it's a tiny club when the guy could have probably done good size arenas, but he's it it's I feel like you just feel the energy. It feels like I listen to it and I feel like you're in a tight room and it's just like 300 people who are like waiting for this moment. And I just, I don't think I've, I've heard of like a live album that's completely like not been touched. You're hearing it for what it is and it makes it all the better. And um, just that, that version of Bring It On Home To Me wow wow i get buzzed every time i hear it every time i hear it, i wait for that whole minute to build up 
to build up and when it drops and then when it drops again with the with the opening line oh and you hear loads of like female scream <laughs> ah fucking hell i would have felt like i was the best person on earth if that was me 100 percent. i would have been buzzing buzzing my nuts off um but yeah great album and i think it's mad as i touched on earlier imagine loving someone and then 20 years later 20 whatever years later going they're going to release an album that you've never heard and that's the fucking album mental <laughs> mental it's really oh good. god gaz you text me and i sent you this i went is I, I i didn't i hadn't got joe's picks through initially but i went he'll pick this i said at least he'll definitely pick this and i sent you this through and with about within about 10 minutes you text me back going what the fuck yeah. like how good is this record it's not it, just our imagination is it no it's you know without question one of the greatest live albums ever without without fucking question and it's just mad that it took over 20 years for it to even come out that this was sitting in some fucking vault somewhere gathering dust for just unfathomable stupidity um, I mean, it's so it's so fucking raw. It's so rough and ready. You feel like you're right in the middle of that fucking crowd. The way that it just screams out the speakers, um, like the way the way that Sam Cooke interacts with the audience, almost preacher-like. You know, that's something is absolutely missing from that live at the Coper album. The Live at the Coper album, you've got the audience here and you've got Sam Cooke here. Never the twain yeah. shall meet. This album, it's like a gigantic fucking just fight of ev- just, yeah. just like piling on top of each other and, and just kind of Sam Cooke just weaving them into absolute fucking hysteria. And you, you touched it right there. For me, you absolutely smashed it. He took everything he learned from being a gospel singer, yeah. singing in them clubs, them churches in yeah, the man. south. Yeah. That energy where people are like freaking out. Yeah. He took that, all that, all them lessons, and he put it into that. Yeah. And if uh, just it, it's like a fucking it's like a fucking bad brains live album from yeah. two or something. <laughs> Yeah, but honestly, I think yeah. people like thought I was mucking around when I said that. But honestly, you listen to it and you go, "This is what I imagined going to see Minor Threat or Black Flag would have been like." Yeah, like you just go, you feel like you're in the middle of it, and you feel like people are losing their shit. Yeah. Is Sam Cook on the stage? Is anyone on the stage? Is yeah. everyone on the stage? Like, yeah. what the fuck is going yeah. on? And it's just like, yeah. it's just, it's just unbelievable. And it's, and, and you know, as much as I love you know, black flag and those, you know, like you've got that, but you've got that feeling, but with legit, like God given star, the kind of the most incredible star power that, you yeah. know, like as much as I love those bands, you know, no one thinks that fucking, I don't know, Lou Collar from Sick of It All is a fucking superstar in the way that they think of like Prince or something. <laughs> but Sam Cooke is like, a genius do you know what i mean and it's like he is like a fucking god of music and like you say you you, you think he's fucking he's there are bits where you go is he like stood on someone's chair like fucking screaming in their face and stuff and everyone's like running around him and shit it's 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 kind of it's it's, it's like i kind of see that kind of those sort of images in my head when i'm listening to it when he's going ah! and, 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 and i could just see it. It, it is almost like you know 
like something you'd see at like a hardcore gig. Just you know, the singer just all is just like he's in the middle of the pit grabbing someone and just screaming into their fucking face. It's weird. It's like there's there's things where he's laughing, and I'm like, you're laughing because you know how fucking good you are. And, yeah. and probably because a fucking bench has collapsed, yeah. stage has collapsed or something. Like his fucking guitarist yeah. has been dragged off stage. I remember watching an interview, I think, with Tina Turner. She said she went to see him live in a club in the South. She was on tour and she said, I, had a, I was having a bad time. And I was in a hotel and he was. And she said, you know, obviously she was with Ike then. And he said, sat down. She said, oh my God, it's fucking Sam Cooke. She goes, like, the most, one of the most beautiful men you'll ever see. And he's like, what's up? What's up, little girl? And she's like, I'm having a bad time. And he was like, she said, you're so sweet. Then later on, they go to see him. She goes, I walk in the club and he's there. She said, white shirt, open, smashing it. And she said, before I knew it, I'm walking on stage trying to grab him. <laughs> girl mates, I had to go fucking get back here. <laughs> but it's like, it's like... Another one, like Aretha Franklin said, like they used to have everyone come over at her house and sing. But she said, when Sam was over, all the girls were sat on the stairs waiting to see him. And they were just like, the guy used to just walk in, the biggest smile, coolest fuck. And I think about that and I think about that on a stage. And the Copa, I feel like I listen to it and I feel like it's just on a boring, straight stage. The band are back there, he's standing in the front. Yeah. Whereas this, I feel like he's in the fucking underworld. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, and I just, I just feel there's, just, there's just an energy with it, and uh, I cherish. It. I've got like three different fucking variations of this record, wow. and it's just, yeah, it's mm. perfect. It is killer. It would be, you know, it's essential. It is definitely the essential and one of the great live albums of all time, without any question. Right before we get to the last little bit. Another gentleman from a band who I spoke to about Sam Cooke, La Jean Witherspoon of Seven Dust, who have an album out next week, which comes up in conversation. Um, I want to get LJ on it as well because he's got some fucking amazing stories as you're about to hear. I spoke to him about all things Sam Cooke as well, and this is what he had to say. It's lovely too. I like your background. Yeah, oh yeah, it's Gojira. Yeah, I've got Failure oh. and Soundgarden next to it as well, and I've got a tall one. Over the other side of the road, I got, I got, I got a few good ones. That, that is. Let me tell you something about Gojira. The reason I know about Gojira, uh, one day I was hanging out with my family doctor, Doc mm. Brian, is a very good friend of mine, and he's our my family doctor. And he goes to Seven Dust shows and all flies around the world. And he came over to my house and he had this black shirt on, and it said Gojira. And this is a few years ago, and I said, Doc, what is that? And he's like, Oh, this is a band. Let me. Doc Bryan turned me on to Gojira. <laughs> wow. <My> family doctor. <laughs> Amazing. That's great. Yeah, you can't make it up. <laughs> Mate, I tell you, we, we don't we don't get out on the NHS over here, like great metal recommendations for our doctors, but that is awesome. Anyway, um, let's crack on. Lejon, LJ, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. And um, I mean, I guess we should start by talking about the new album, Truth Killer, which is... 14 albums in now for you guys, which if you're listening to this podcast comes out in a week's time. So obviously we will be talking about the album and reviewing it in a week's time. So I'm not going to give too much away, but tell me um, 
when you get 14 albums into a career, what are the different challenges? Because, like, you know, I can remember buying the first Seven Dust album on import for an extortionate amount of money. We didn't get it in the UK straight away, so I had to get it on import for a fair bit of money. And I was like, wow, this new band. How hard it is, is it to get 14 albums in and have to try and kind of reinvent yourself to keep it fresh? Like, is that a, is that a difficult thing for you guys? No, not at all. I feel like that pandemic uh, put a clamp on us. So you had this... You had us in this box, just couldn't wait to get out. And so we had all this music. And once we got together and started writing it together, it was just, I think it was the vision of what we wanted to see, what we wanted people to hear, what we imagined people bouncing. We were able to have time to think about all those things, I feel like, during the pandemic. Uh, we were removed from what we were normal. What was normal was us being out on the road, touring, banging it. All of a sudden, we're here at the house. Like, am I am I an artist anymore at that one point in time? So it was really cool to go back into the studio with all that energy. And I feel like we were able to put it on Truth Killer. Uh, and for people to understand it, I think they'll feel that with these songs and the energy that we put on the album. It's funny as well, because actually I was speaking to someone else from another band recently, and they've got an album that they've kind of had ready for a while, but didn't want to put it out during the pandemic. And they were saying to me, they shall remain nameless, but they were saying to me, like, it's really weird because you suddenly go, hold on, this kind of tour album, tour the album, tour cycle. He's like, now we've had this different amount of time. We kind of scrapped a bunch of stuff and we were like, you know, actually, let's do something a little bit different. And this just feels a little bit different. Um, can you relate to that at all? Oh, yeah, man. Well, think about this. This album here, Blood and Stone, we recorded that and we put it out and we didn't tour it because yeah. no one could tour, but we were sitting there like, people need the music. Look at us all, we're like zombies in the house and can't go anywhere. It would be silly for us to wait to put this out to when things were opened up again. We'll have the time to make a new album, which we were able to make Truth Killer. This album, I feel like didn't get its due, but thankfully it made the charts and all that stuff. But that was something that we wanted to do to make sure that we gave the people the medicine that they needed, which is music, during that time. You know what I mean? And and that and that was I felt like we weren't being selfish by keeping that. That was like, here, here's an album. We're all stuck in the house. Let's we could do this right here at the house. You know, we'll see you <laughs> when we get back out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you've now got. I mean, does it feel like now you're going out on tour and stuff, and you've got more material from this album? Is it just like? Well, I want to play all the new stuff. I mean, because the people are going to be going who are like, well, we got the favorites that we want to hear. But like, I'm sure you guys are itching to do the new stuff, right? It's hard at this point. So uh, about a month and a half ago, we went out for two and a half weeks with Alter Bridge. The album hasn't been out yet, but the only song that they've heard had been Don't Let the Devil In and Fence. So we were able to put Fence in the set and they've seen the video. So the new song Fence went over well. And I'm so excited about when we leave in August that we'll put Fence in and we'll put everything in the set and then probably another new song. But it's exciting. And then we'll you know play some songs from this and then try to pick some favorites. But it's hard when you only have a 45 minute set. <laughs> 14 albums. Yeah, exactly. It's like, maybe we do a medley of like every song. That'd be weird to be like, and then like, that would be weird. So, you know, you pick and choose. Sometimes we change the setup, but it's funny. At this point in our career, man, uh, we'll get in the studio and look at each other and we'll say, well, let's play this song. And then somebody say, oh, I'll never want to play that song again. And then someone else say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and then, someone, some, then some songs are somebody's favorite song and then someone else's favorite song. And it's like, I, I'm not, 
I'm not doing that song. No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm kind of interested what your audience looks like now as well, right? Because, I mean, I'm sure like everybody's seen the kind of the 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 re-rise of new metal, if you like, right? You kind of you kind of like that the whole look, the whole feel of it, and I think like bands that maybe a few years ago. I would go and see like I don't know I'd go and see Lip Biscuit or whatever and it'd be like oh it's a bunch of dudes my age like a bunch of guys with receding hairlines and who were wearing trousers to slightly too tight for them or whatever, whatever right right, right. now but now you're like oh there's like 15 year olds here going to see Static X and like that that whole thing like is that kind of uh invigorating and sort of um inspiring to you to be like oh we're from this generation that has really kind of I don't want to say like kind of come back into fashion, but like it feels like it's it's kind of getting a bit zeitgeisty again. I like what you said. It's so listen to this. This is what I said. And I think just cats that are like us kind of understand this. There's a movement that's going on and they don't even realize that it's a movement. You know, they're just they're still on this wave. They don't realize this is a movement, man, for sure. I feel like it's definitely come back. Everything comes back with a resurgence. So if that new metal, whoever, who's the guy that made that word up? Is it even in the freaking dictionary? I don't know what that means. I'd rather be new metal than old metal, but you know what I mean? So it's cool, but uh, I definitely feel like there's a movement. And like, we just did this thing called Sick New World. And it was all these bands from that era that played one day and it turned out to be one of the coolest festivals ever. So uh, I just feel like just with everything, like the 70s, the 60s, the new metal, I just feel like it all comes back, you know, and it's a, it's very cool to be a part of it. And I think it's also due to the pandemic being closed down. May it be new metal, old metal. I think they're just ready for any kind of anything at this point in of our lives to just get back to some type of normalcy in music. Uh, there's contagious air, uh, there's contagious energy in the air when it comes to these concerts again. When we went out this last run, kids are outside the bus again at nine o'clock in the morning waiting you know knowing that the show is not until nine o'clock at night but they don't have a problem being the first people there hanging out all day long laughing telling stories smoking doing whatever they're doing you know what i mean it's just that that's what i live for you know that's like when i look outside the bus at a festival and you look at all these grown people you say the crowd yeah, these are old people. I'm 50 years old. These are people my age and older. And then now they brought their kids and then their kids have kids and they're outside listening to whatever's playing on the PA, throwing a, a volleyball, beach balls back and forth like kids. You know what I mean? Like not a care in the world. And what are we here for? Music. And just I got chill bumps just to be back together again the way that it's supposed to be. I'm, I'm very happy to, to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the other things, especially in regards to like you guys with new material and you guys as a band as well, is something I say a lot about bands who, uh, you know, it, f it feels like there's kind of a career um, like splitting up and then the kind of nostalgia. Oh, we play the album that you remember because we've been away for like 20 years or whatever. That's almost become like a career path for a lot of bands now. It's like, oh, if we, t if we take 10 years off, we can come back and we can be playing like massive venues again, even though, you know, we couldn't sell shit. We were playing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas uh, I always... I'm sorry. sorry go no, no, go on. Are they smarter than some of those bands? Because... Some of them come back out and they make a lot of money, but I don't know if it's worth it or not. I like the way we've done it, mm. uh, where we've stayed in the face and in the public, and you know we've not been the biggest band in the world, but we're happy. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I think it makes you 
I, I kind of always admire bands who kind of just go, no, no, like whether we're the zeitgeist or whether we're not the cool type of music or whatever we're doing or, you know, whether it's like rock is out or whether it's in or whatever, we carry on and we just do the same you know, we do the same, we're going to tour the same people, we're going to make the music we want to make, we're going to carry on making records, you're going to get a record from us, and if and the people who stick around, their fans, are really, really fucking loyal fans, you know, you get a very loyal fan base in that, and I think you guys would be a, a good example of that. I think it's a family, uh, it's a family affair, and we're not a group, I like to say this, I feel like there's a lot of good groups out there, there's a lot of good people that are groups, you got a group, you got that guy's a great guitar player, he's a great drummer, he's a great singer, it's a group, it's not a band. We're a band, you know, uh, we've been through it all together. We've been through deaths, we've been through marriages, divorces, mistresses, uh, you know, everything. You know, we've, we've been through it all together. We've been through, your daddy died and you can't get to the funeral because we're here and we have an obligation and who's the only people are gonna, you know, console you or this, you know what I mean? It's, we're just closer, man. It's a, uh, I don't know. I, I, I thank the Lord for my, my band and everything that we've gone through together. It's, uh, it's definitely changed my life. Uh, I've met a lot of incredible people in my life. Some things I would like to change, but I think it's made us the band that we are, the, the trials and tribulations that we went through to get to mm. this point. Okay, cool. Well, like I say, Truth Killer comes out next week. We're going to be yes. reviewing next week, so we'll talk about it next week. Good luck with the record. I mean, not like good luck in impressing us in our review. I'm sure you don't really, it doesn't matter either way, <laughs> what we think, but we will be talking about it. We bring, will be talking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but why we really got you on here, and I need to say thank you for this podcast that you're listening to right now. Um, we are doing a tribute and a kind of beginner's guide and our kind of talk through the incredible career of an artist who you basically when i interviewed you for metal hammer uh, a couple of years ago you basically kind of turned me on to the genius of sam cook you said to me and i, re I remember this i remember saying like you you picked ain't that good news as one of your favorite kind of albums that changed your life yeah and i, yeah. And, I and i was like oh yeah i kind of know a few sam cook songs but i'm not really properly familiar with him and you said you need to go and listen to a change is going to come immediately and it was a song that i was familiar with but I was sort of like, oh, I kind of feel like I know it. And, and, I, and I sat down, as soon as we hung up on the call, I sat down and I put it on and I just went, where has this guy been all my life? What Tell me this, did it, bring a tear, did it bring a tear to your eye at all? It's, it's funny you say that actually, because just before you joined the call with me, I put it on one last time. I tried to find, because th there is... It's a song that he didn't play live, kind of famously. He, mm -hmm. played, it live. he played it live once, I believe, on the Johnny Carson show, and then yeah. kind of never played it again. And I was looking for the live version. I thought I'd found it, and I, I hadn't found it, but the, the normal version came up. And I got the lyrics up on my phone, and it's just so unbelievably powerful, a song. Wow, I got chill bumps. It, it's so weird how it's still so today. Mm in front of your face every word that he says is still what's happening right now in front of us unfolding over and over again it's like good god if that ain't timeless music right there man if that ain't something that's a higher power within you know whatever the realm of music that we're in that's just something i've always felt with that sam cook the change is going to come with that uh that yeah ain't no good news 1964 was mm -hmm. i was born in 1972 had no idea 
about any of that stuff until growing up and having my grandfather tell me about a story when I was living in Georgia. And he was like, um, when I got back to, he said, I'll never visit you in Georgia. And I was like, why granddaddy? And he's like, oh, when I got back from the Navy, when I fought from the war, and uh, he was a sergeant or something. He's like, well, us, us, us black folk, we had to walk in the gutter. And I was like, and it changed. And he told me about Sam Cooke that, that year of my life as a young man. And he said, change is going to come. And I remember wondering how he felt fighting in the war and then coming back to the United States and having to walk in the gutters as a black man with his, you know what I mean? It was just so weird. And and for that song to affect me the way it affects me and affects you, imagine how it affected those people back then when he wrote it and they were living it, you know, like we're living it now, but not as bad. I mean, they're trying to make it like that, but you know what I mean? They were living it. So those words mean so much more than, I, I you know, music is music, but when you get to songs like that and artists like that, that were going through those situations, you really feel it in the song, in the moment in the time and what they were going through in their life. I think the, the lyrically, like if, when, if I sit and read the lyrics song with it, it will bring me to kind of floods of tears. Right. And, and again, oh yeah. I am a, I am a white guy from the little village in England. Who which is awesome. 1980, which is awesome. But you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I am, I, I am not, you know, I was not there for any of this, but you, right you f you cannot i i i say it's like there's certain music where you go you have to feel that you, you can't you deny cannot, the yeah man you could hear the cry and the, the the bleed and the voice you could i mean it's deep it's like oh my god you know when he's my brother can you spare a chain i mean it's like a change gonna come i mean just everything i, I got chill bumps i'm not even singing a song i'm just thinking about it <laughs> Yeah. You know, that's what music does. And that's beautiful. And thank you for sharing this and even sharing Sam Cooke's music uh, with people. Another, you know, we talk about Sam Cooke. I listen to a lot of old music. You know, you ever listen to the Isley Brothers? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I've kind of just, th th this has all been stuff that I've been delving way back into <laughs> oh, in, right the last, in the last few years. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah I uh, love it, man. Yeah, really, really amazing. Like, very cool. I, I mean, you're a singer, right? Obviously, you're a vocalist. You're a very, very good vocalist. You're a very good oh, singer, you. very talented singer. When you listen to a man like Sam Cooke, who's, let's be real here, his voice is quite unlike any, any. other voice that oh, you, yeah. you, you, you could even I was born by the river. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. Little town. <laughs> I mean, his voice is incredible. Do the, you, the, the the timber in it, mm. the cigarette smoke, the cognac on the voice, the turtleneck sweater, you know, just the coolness. Everything about him was just amazing. I told the story, I believe I told you the story, my old, old friend, years and years ago, I remember she knew that I was a Sam Cooke fan, like she knew that I loved him. And she's like, I'm gonna tell you a story. She's like, I'm gonna tell you something. You can't tell anyone this. And I was like, what? She's like, I work for the president when he was alive, was at Co Records uh, that signed Sam Cooke. She was his caregiver or whatever. He was a million years old. And she's like, I, I'm gonna give you some stuff. 
and she gave me Sam Cooke's, I have his first record deal that he signed. I have a change is going to come. He signed the, the papers to it and they were giving him a certain amount of money and he marked it out and he wanted more money. And then he agreed to it and then he signed that. I have that. Wow. I have, I have candid pictures of him because he smoked cigarettes, but they never really wanted to see him smoking cigarettes. So mm. there's pictures of him smoking in the studio. I have tons of those. Uh, I actually have a, what is it? The, the, the famous club in New York. Was it the Cot 2 Club? The It was some famous club that he performed in. And I have the martini glass from that. I mean, I just have all this really eccentric stuff <laughs> that she gave to me. She said, you can never tell anybody this, but it's been 20 years. <laughs> you know, he's going to fire me. I'm like, he's 100 years old now. I don't think he's going to fire you. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Is that the the it was the uh, the Copacabana where the oh my the god live, yes I have the live album I have so I have that I have the uh, the actual martini glass wow that's no way amazing. you know it that's exactly what it is I have the so I was I was listening to to Sam Cooke today and kind of prep for this and I think that that um that six and a half minute long version if of if I had a hammer live is one of the greatest live performances of anything i've ever heard in my life it's absolutely like spectacular the, the fucking joy that that guy gets from performing live and i mean this is what i was going to say to you like back then you know that, that we live in a world now where you go and see a band and you go well you know they might use tracks a bit like they got a little bit of water yeah, a little bit of this and that nothing on sam cook or nothing Not all live just everything was live it's just it, it makes it makes no sense to this day, when you go in the studio and you see some of the trickery that's being done, but then you look back at these old cats, these ladies and gentlemen that did it just with a box this big and a microphone and two or three knobs, singing like angels. I mean, and just, that's that's real music to me. That's the way I like to do it. That's why I like to do live. That's why I say, you know what? Seven of us, we say, fuck it, let's do it live. <laughs> that's what we say a lot. <laughs> let's go live. That's how we do it, man. So speaking as a vocalist as well, regarding Sam Cooke and his voice, I was going to say to you, do you believe that he was born with that voice? Or do you think, because obviously there are some people who are vocalists who kind of work at their craft and you see how their voice kind of evolves over years. I mean, really, we, we only get a kind of very small amount of time comparatively to hear what Sam, which, you know, which we'll get to in a bit, but you only hear his voice kind of recorded over quite a kind of finite, tiny amount of time, really. You only get like a decade's worth stuff oh, right so it's a good way to look at it yeah so you, you think you know the rolling stones you hear mick jagger's voice changing as his sort of as he changes you hear how bob dylan or you know stevie wonder's voice changes over all these years um you kind of don't get to hear that evolution with sam cook because he's not been around he's like long enough what? i don't think so i've i've always wondered you know, is that a kind of God-given voice, do you think? Or do you think he's kind of from... Because I know he's, he's obviously singing in, in kind of gospel choirs from like the age of six and stuff. Do you believe people are just blessed with voices in that way? I think so. I believe that's something in you. But then also, with anything, you hone in on your craft and you, you, you make it better. Uh, with me, I never really took vocal... I did vocal lessons like one time just to make sure that I knew... La, 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 la. And after that, the vocal teacher said, you don't need to do this. He's like, you got it. Just go and just keep your voice warm. Just do it. It's natural. He's like, it's, it's a natural thing. And that, that's something that I always appreciated from that first vocal teacher saying, it's, 
You ain't got to do all this stuff. It's in you. Just he, take care of yourself. And I really feel that. But Sam Cooke definitely, look, think about like this. Think about someone like Charlie Wilson from the freaking Gap Band. He's, how old is Charlie Wilson now? Like 70, 80 years old and is still rocking with the young kids. And his voice <laughs> sounds better now than when he was in the Gap. You know what I mean? So I can only yeah. imagine. And it's so weird to me. People now say, man, your voice is even stronger at 50. And I'm like, I feel stronger than I did when I was 30 years old. But that's weird, you know? Maybe it'd be too, this, uh, that's my thing. That's what I do is I sing. So I don't really think about it until you ask the question, you know? Like, yeah, I hope that I'm getting better. I hope that there's not a point to where I'm ever like, oh, that's it, I don't need to know no more. I still learn every day of my life something new about my voice. Uh, I'm always learning about other singers, especially these new artists that are coming out. And I'm like, oh, wow, this, this kid is cool. What's that new band I like? I like that new band Sleep Token, Bad Omens and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, these kids are doing interesting things. I like, uh, I'm learning things from these kids and I'm hoping they're learning things from my old ass too as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. But um, no one can touch Sam Cooke. Still to this day, ain't nobody can touch Sam Cooke. Well, I was gonna say like, when you go back, I mean, me, like particularly the, the kind of the, um, the Harlem Square, uh, live album that came that was kind of released in 1963 and they just it doesn't come out until 1985 I mean obviously I was too young I didn't know at the time but like that was one of the things that I heard where I was like holy shit this is just unbelievable and it just feels like he's it's it's almost like he's playing in a like a punk rock club it sounds like he's playing in CBGs yeah. or something it's, it's so raucous and electric I was gonna say electrifying like I could only imagine being in that room in that hot room and sweaty and just Knowing that you're watching something that was not all the way right, but it was incredible, and you knew this was something that was big, but you know what I mean? Like you, you had to know it was something that was like we're this is something special. Like you know, seeing Prince, or you know what I mean, seeing Bob Dylan, or seeing Michael, you know, whatever, whoever the artist was, is you know, it had to be that point where you're like, this is like a Rick James. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, ah, dang, this is weird. Something's happening here. We're going to hear about this guy again. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, in terms of his influence on people, um, his influence on, you know, from soul and going through to Motown and, and I guess Stacks era soul and everything that comes in the aftermath from kind of Stevie Wonder to Tina Turner to Aretha Franklin and on and on, all these fucking incredible artists. Mm -hmm. Just how can you kind of quantify how influential sam cook has been to popular music like how would you sum that up r&b everybody wants to be soulful like that man i i i, I try to bring that over to the metal side of things mm. i feel like it could be the heaviest riff in the world and i'm still gonna bring some soul to it i still bring sam cook and that energy to everything that i do within seven dust that whole motown era is still a movement that can never be denied that was so raw the energy, the the way that they wrote, all the people that were behind the scenes that people still don't know about to these days, that there were different bands that were the, the main bands behind a lot of those groups that were like, that band did that, you know what I mean? Like, these are just artists that were just genius that, yeah, you can never, you can never, that 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 sound will never die. Just like with a lot of different music, but you know, that, that R&B, that Motown, that Sam Cooke, Aretha Franklin, my grandfather dated Aretha Franklin, by the way, uh, that wow. whole era, yeah, that whole era was incredible. Uh, I remember my grandfather telling me stories about Aretha Franklin. He's like, yeah, what would he, the reverend, he's like, he didn't like me a lot. 
<laughs> my grandfather was a singer back in the day too. So there's pictures of him with Aretha Franklin and all that stuff. But that was, you know, and to me, that was another thing. I always felt like I had to do something in the music industry with like stories like that. And then me knowing that I had a cousin in James Brown's band, forget about that. I was always thinking I was going to do something. And I met him at one of my uncle's funerals. His name was Charles. And he, uh, he played keyboards, saxophone, and trumpet for James Brown for years. He was in the movie Coming to America. And when James Brown came on, living in America, you can see my uncle Charles' cousin. He's got the big air flow. He's real light-skinned. But anyway, when my uncle died, I knew that Charles was coming to the funeral. That's the only thing I was concerned about even though poor uncle, but Charles is coming. He was in James Brown's band. Listen to this. He showed up to the funeral in some black Lincoln limousine thing. And him and his dude that they were with, it was somebody else who was a partner, but he had like a, a captain's hat on. Like he just got off a ship and he had this long Jerry curl. And then my cousin had this Afro that was really curly and they had these sunglasses on and like, they looked like rock stars after you knew that, and the whole time at the funeral, I remember my mom hitting me, telling me to stop staring at him. And I was like, <laughs> I wanted to go with them. I wanted to get in that limousine with them. And I was like, I am going to, not for the fact of the limousine or anything, but it's the way they carried themselves. And just, they were, you knew that they were, I don't know. It was, they were from another planet is what I felt like. And that's what I feel like when I'm on stage and stuff. I feel like when you put that gear on, you're a superhero and you, you turn into something that is, uh, I'm still the same person, but you know what I mean? That is a, a platform of where I just get to paint this picture of greatness, you know, and it's a beautiful thing. But that's what I saw when I tell you what, man, they came in that funeral, it was a church and they had these sunglasses on, hats, and everybody was, the casket was up here and everybody was right here looking. <laughs> you thought they were, if he would have pulled out a trumpet, we'd have been like, do it. <laughs> This, we knew you were going to do a concert. Let's go. Let's do it. Where's James at? Is he in that concert? <laughs> wow. That, that is mental. That is unbelievable. I'm brilliant. So, yeah, so I kind of grew up around that energy. You know what I mean? Just that energy of, I can do this. You know, it's, even though it's far away, but it, it always seemed like it wasn't that far away. You know what I mean? In a sense. Mm, yeah. I was actually going to ask you about kind of what you feel, you know, that music and the music of Sam Cooke, like, how that translates with metal because obviously like you know i know people who listen every week know that i fucking moan a bit but like i love metal and i've been listening to metal my whole life but you know i want to listen to everything i want to enjoy everything yep. and and I, like how do you kind of get like if there are metal fans listening and they're like sam cook i don't know that guy like some old singer like what the fuck like what would you say to those people man i would just say open up uh music is music to me man i feel like you could have the worst voice in the world, but as long as you have conviction, then people are gonna get it. You know what I mean? Bob Dylan, he got the best voice in the world, but he, he means his songs and we all love it. Willie Nelson, on the road again. Does that sound good? You know what I mean? I mean, but guess what? He means it. We wanna hear that because the conviction, that's what I can tell people. Uh, everything, it broadens the mind. Once you go outside, everything has to be heavy. Uh, I was never like that. My family, oh, I grew up listening to country, rap, rock, metal, jazz, uh, calypso, you know what I mean? And that's what it's around my family. And that's what I love about music. For me, that's what it is. It's never been just one avenue. It's so, 
it's everywhere, man. I could go to a different country and hear some music that I've never heard and fall in love with it and not even know what the dude's saying. He's like, la, 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 la. I'm like, you know, I'm like, what? I don't know what you're saying, but it's amazing. You know what I mean? Because you mean it. I can feel it, you know? So uh, that's just for me. If I could say anything, man, just be open to it. Just be open to different sounds. Uh, some people say, you know, I, I listen to orchestra and stuff. And it's so funny when you go to an orchestra or whatever, and people are drinking tea and they're like, oh, and I'm looking at it and this guy's ripping on the violin. This chick is like, ee, ee. I'm like, this is the heaviest shit ever. You know, so it's just different ways that people accept and grasp music. You know what I mean? Like, I'm at a simply like, this is heavy. You know what I mean? This other guy's over here is like, oh, this is so soothing, you know? But it is soothing, but still, if you look at it in a different way, they're ripping. You know, they, they're not all the time. They're, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> Strings yeah. are busting. <laughs> they're playing harder than some guitar players. Yeah, man. Oh, I, but you, the, certainly, like, you know, when you watch, so kind of like, Metallica with the San Francisco orchestra, and you're like that. That they, I'm sometimes like overpowering Metallica that orchestra. Sometimes. There you go, exactly. They're like they're ripping back there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if there's any advice I could tell those kids out there, man, is to uh to be open to all music. And if there's any advice I could give to any kids in the industry, is not only be open but to love your music and also in this industry be a businessman and a businesswoman or whatever just know about the business too because uh, at some point in time it's not all just oh uh, I, just, yeah, I want everybody to hear my music but there's always going to be somebody with their hands in their pocket that's going to be trying to do something so just stay focused on that too as well mm. i mean that's pretty good advice and actually it's something I was, I was about to say the, the other thing about sam cook is a, a, as much as he was an amazing artist and an amazing singer um songwriter as well like you know from yes. that kind of you get down that, that school of like the you know the kind of berry gordy school that you mentioned where it's like hey you're a great singer we've done this thing for you we've written this song for you go sing it and you know they're incredible and i guess like the, the, for sam cook to kind of not only be able to perform these songs but for him to kind of create them himself is like something of a rarity for, for that which is like goes to show even more like what a kind of genius he was well yeah absolutely especially in those times where like you said you had a guy that came in and said guess what here's a song and the team that's written these songs, we're hit writers, so you can sing, just go sing it, and it's going to be a number one hit. Trust us, yeah. And that's the way it was. But Sam Cooke, like you said, he was writing his own music, and he was writing stuff that was real. That's what was, I think that's what resonated so much with people in the hood, if I would say it, because he was singing to those folks, you know. He was really singing to the battered down, the ones that were dealing with it every day, that was, you know, getting turned away and, and you know, not treating equally in a in a world where everything should have been fair, and he might have been treated better just because he was Sam Cooke, but he was still seeing the way his brothers were being treated and stuff, you know. And then at the end of the day, I guess it turned out that he got treated that way because somebody ended up killing him, you know, for the, the the reason that's kind of kind of ironic. The kind of song kind of talks about the reason that you know, in a, in a weird way, what happened to him, his demise. Mm. and he kind of knew that i've read stories where he was sort of like he was saying he kind of felt like something was going to happen to him right he was kind of oh, yeah. saying to people like oh something's going to happen to me i feel like something weird's going to happen think about him in that era doing what he was doing and people swimming over him that weren't supposed to be liking him and he's singing and doing all this and going out with girls that he wasn't supposed to be going out and at the hotel room and think about all them 
losers that were not liking that at the time. And at that time, it was more acceptable to be more open about not liking a person of that color or where, you know. So, yeah, he was definitely, definitely knew that it was probably a scary time. And, and you remember those times back in the day, there were certain places that you couldn't perform in. You had to have a certain tour book to make sure that you were at places that they wouldn't kidnap you and try to take you and kill you. You know, I couldn't imagine. I would have been dead back then. I'll tell you what, they would, they would have, I would, I would have not made it out for about a week. <laughs> he, he said something back to me and punched me. <laughs> He beat up six of us last night. We got to take him out. <laughs> yeah, right. Fucking hell. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's obviously a tragedy to yeah. lose a great artist at any point. You know, we could talk about any great artist who has passed away over the years. You just think, like, what a fucking tragedy. I think the thing that makes the death of Sam Cooke so tragic is you're looking at 1964 and you're looking at a, you look at kind of I guess his peers or people that are comparable to him are Miles Davis, a Marvin Gaye, and you look at what they did, and you look at the way that culture changes in the late sixties and oh, into wow. the early seventies, and you think of they what's... moved on. Yeah, that's right. They moved on with it. I mean, they got big. What do you think Sam Cooke in nineteen seventy two would have been doing or could have been? Oh doing? man, so that's really good. Oh wow, that's a movie because think about his his style was so old school. But then again, Marvin Gaye's style was 60s. It was old school with all the symphony, the orchestra stuff too. But then he graduated. Yeah, I mean, it was weird. It would just be weird to think about it now, seeing Sam Cooke transition into the more modern because that stuff was, you know, more just, you didn't have to really have music with, you know what I mean? You could just do this right here and, you know, Sam could sing a song and be like, it was more of that on the street corner fucking nothing but talent you know what i mean mm. and then all of a sudden you start bringing these instruments and stuff in i would that's very cool i would i, I could only imagine what that would sound like i mean it would be incredible but yeah what a what a what a journey it would have been i wonder if he would have been ready for it uh just to think about how old school he was you know what i mean because he was older school than Miles and all them and Miles Kenny and they, he was riding a dragon and stuff. I don't think Sam Cooke was doing that that bad. You know what I mean? Miles <laughs> Kenny was he was <laughs> he was out there. You know what I mean? And those guys were doing a lot of different things. Uh, maybe even Sam Cooke might not have been introduced into some of the things that they were introduced to. You know what I mean? To make them evolve into the artists that they were. If that makes sense. Yeah, I just think that you know the, the kind of the way that. Uh, that culture changed in the sort of the sort yeah. of post the post Vietnam culture that we're in. I mean, you look at someone like I mean, for me, like a comparable person to Sam Cooke in a completely different medium would be like Richard Pryor. And you look at yeah. what Richard Pry look at what, what Richard Pryor was, and then who Richard Pryor became when he suddenly yeah. when when that culture changed, and when he was like, yeah, actually, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not going to take this shit anymore, and I'm not. And like, my mind does backflips at the idea of sam cook getting to that place and being like right now i'm gonna make this music which reflects this and this change in society and i just think like it's one of the great kind of lost um unknowns that we have in music like what would sam cook in the 70s have sounded like do you know what i mean absolutely man you know you know it would have been a it would have been huge it would've, everyone would have been there uh it would have it would have been crazy uh i just think you think about that I got the chance to talk to little Richard and be kind of an acquaintance of his. And I thought that was incredible to me to be able to talk to him on the phone and him to tell me how proud of me he was. And something I'll never forget, he would always say, 
say, look good everywhere you go. And I was like, what you mean? He's like, he said, you ever see me look like shit? <laughs> but not look good? No, sir. He's like, that's right. He's like, you always look good. Look your best. He's like, that's what you got to do. And I just remember that and just being like, you know, just because you're talking about Sam cooking him. And I'm just thinking about people that I had the opportunity to, luckily enough, have uh, a touch of their magic, you know, just a, a hint of it, just to, 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 to make me even put a little fire into my ass to make sure that I, I continue to keep on going. Mm, that's cool. That's amazing. Got some great stories, man. Before we go, one last thing I want to say. Hey, can I tell listen, you go remind on. me of one of my very good friends from Australia, Gavin, and y'all look just alike. Y'all could be brothers. So smile for me real quick. All right, I took a picture of that. I'm sending this to Gavin. <laughs> all right. I spooled, he man. He lives we, in we Australia. All, you guys got to be like, you got to be all the same. like, what's up, bro? Where you been my whole life? <laughs> We we bald men. We all look the same, basically. It's all right. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, before we go, LJ, one album. If you were to say to somebody, "Go away and listen to this one record, one compilation, one collection," what would be the place where you'd say to somebody, "That's where you need to start"? All right. You know what, man? When I when I get up in the mornings, I like to cook and stuff. I get up really early, and I'll come downstairs and I, the system through the house. And I'll start it off and I'll say, hey, Google, play the best of the Isley Brothers. Do that. Tell them to do that. Okay. From from Summer Breeze on up, the original version of Summer Breeze. A lot of people don't know that. Is the freaking, that's the Isley, that tone is the Isley Brothers guitar tone. And before we leave, I can tell you a quick story. So I did an interview the other day with a guy in Jersey, right? Our age, my age. And we're talking and everything. And he's like in Jersey. And he's like, oh, yeah, man. And he said, what's some of your music? So I said, I listen to the Isley Brothers every day. He's like, oh, wow. He's like, when I was in high school, I worked for a, a landscaping company. And I used to cut the grass of the guitar player for the Isley Brothers mansion. I said, what? And he said, I never got to meet him. But it was an oval-shaped glass room. And I would look in it when I would cut the grass. And he said, I would see all his guitars. So anyway, I was freaked out about this interview that I did. And I told Kevin, the publicist, I was like, oh, my God, man, you're in Jersey. I was like, what's this town? He said, Eddie Murphy lived there. And it was in the 80s and blah, 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 blah. And he said, the house is still there. The very next day, Kevin sent me a freaking picture of the house. It's been on the market for 10 years. And someone just bought it. The Isley Brothers house. I was like, and it says Ronald Isley or whatever lived here. And it's been on the market for 10 years. And they just sold it the other day for three point something million dollars. I was like, no. Oh, wow. Fucking hell. What are the chances of that story? You know what That's I mean? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Um, I just yeah, thought I'd tell you that. I, I back that with the Isley Brothers. I've been listening to those. I mean, I didn't. there was a, a British band who covered Harvest of the World. And I didn't even know it was an Isley Brothers song. And I was like, oh, really? oh, I like this song. And then I heard it. I, I was like, this is the best version. Why didn't I ever listen? I didn't even know. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome, yeah. man. Hey, bro, thank you for taking the time to do this. And uh, I know that we're going to be getting over there soon with this new label. And let's make sure we hang out. Absolutely, man. It would be my bloody pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for chatting to LJ. It's been a, a, a real wicked time. And okay. thank you again for giving me the gift of Sam Cooker. It is like really, really been awesome, man, to, to get into him as an artist and to, to kind of enjoy his music. And, you know, we're any little bit that we can do to kind of let people know about what an incredible talent he was, then that's, uh, that's, that's good, I think. Man, thank you so much. I love you, brother. Stay well, and I'll see you soon, man. God bless. You will, man. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Awesome. Cheers. All right, there you go. Top dude.
top dude, LJ from Seven Dust. He's a he's a, a lovely man, quite the character. And uh, I mean, you two haven't heard that bit yet, so you don't know all the cool stuff he just said. But he is cool. He is really cool. Um, Joe, it's been lovely having you here, mate. Before we head off, last thing I'm going to say, um, and there's one more thing that we wanted to do. You had something else that you wanted to mention to check out. Now, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but the Soul Stirrers. Um, for people who don't know what the Soul Stirrers were and what they did, you've picked Joy in My Soul, which I believe is a collection of songs they did between 58 and 64? I think, or 59? Yeah, I think it was mainly dealt with around Sam's time. And it's it's now, it's signed to Sam's label now. So yes, they have, his estate have uh, complete control over that. And there's two, two things I'd like to just to touch on that I think people should check out. Um, so he's, he's um, sort of hero, was the original singer, frontman for the Soul Stirrers. Um, oh God, I want to say it's R.H. Harris. I can't remember. He left and then Sam joined. Like he wasn't straight away the lead singer, but he come in and he started to produce the songs and he brought in his version of songs to do. And um, there's a, a song called Jesus Gave Me Water. And that was Sam's imagining of that. And of course, as time went on, he, he started being the producer, the guy who would like kind of give him all the ideas. And then he started just to be the lead singer. But from there, obviously, time goes on and he wants to branch out. He wants to leave that behind. But leaving that behind and crossing over into the pop, the, the white audience was a big, like, fucking no-go. I mean, put it this way, Whitney Houston had the same issues in the fucking 80s, you know? Yeah. So he put out a song called Lovable under, an, under the name Dale Cook. And people... It was, you can tell that voice from a mile away. And people were like, that's you. And he was like, no, no, it's my brother. It's one of my brothers who sung that. People knew. But Lovable is actually a version of another song that he wrote for the Soul Stirrers, but it's about Jesus. And he changed the lyrics and put it out under Lovable. But yeah, he did that time, that run, but he was almost seen as that, you want to leave this, this is your religious beliefs. You want to leave this and make something of yourself? How dare you? And he was just like, yeah, I do. So some some gospel singers will never leave that world. That's the, their religious beliefs, you know, are so strong. Back then, I mean, what he was planning on doing, they saw that as like the devil's music. Imagine writing Cupid and they've gone fucking Satanist over here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I just think that's fucking mad. But there's yeah, the great the collection I, I told you about, Steve, just really good, just a really good 30 plus songs that either Sam produced um sung lead on or sung backing vocals but one i really want to touch on he had a younger brother called lc cook who looked pretty much similar to sam sam was working on lc cook's album and there was only ever a few tracks of that ever came out because sam got killed 50 years later, they finally released the album, the complete collection, Elsie Cook. You can hear it's amazing. You can hear Sam in the control room laughing and joking with him. You can hear Sam coming in, singing on the tracks with him. I think nine of the nine of the 10 or 11 tracks are wrote by Sam Cook. And it's almost, and it's a bit more, it's very happy music. It's like Twisting the Night Away. You know, it's very, very upbeat. But it's another thing. It's all him. It's literally just hearing him. And he's, his brother's got a good voice. 
but it's not the same. But his brother never did anything after that. It was like, if it's not Sam Cooke doing it, I don't want to do anything. But that album come out, he managed to see it finally come out. And then I think he died a couple of years later. But if you listen to it, there's some great stuff just where you can hear them laughing and joking, ribbing each other. But again, it's just another load of tracks written by Sam Cooke. And it's almost like I can write these songs and you guys, you young lads go and sing them. And I just think it's almost sad in a way that he was like, my, that's not meant to be my life now because my brother's not here. Mm-hmm. But it's also great that he did finally get to see his works come out. But it's just just great to listen to it and just to hear that voice, that Sam Cooke chatting, having a, just taking the mic. And it's worth a listen. It'll make you feel good. It will make you feel good. And um, yeah, again, it's, it's you know, not a touch on Sam, but there's some great songs on there. But um, yeah, it's a bit of an untapped thing. And I think it's a great story, something mm. to be hidden away again for 50 years. And I, I think, fucking hell, what else is out there? Yeah. What else is, you know? God, so yeah, that that's just that's. I just wanted to leave you boys with that. Yeah, it's good. It's a lovely, you know, like some of the harmonies are lovely, and like you say, it's like just just a sort of thing. Again, it's a proper like Sunday morning, sunny, nice, like fucking feel good, uplifting record. You, you, how do you feel about this one, Gaz? Love it. Like you said, it's yeah, sun kissed. The harmony, it's it's just it's just the harmonies. So just pretty much kind of beyond perfect and and like you say yeah, for this stuff to finally come out after all these years it's it's, it's a nice kind of coda to the story do you know what I mean yeah and I think I think in a way almost the Sam Cooke story's finally finally kind of rounded off you know in the yeah. last years you've had that come out You've had the complete Soul Stirrers collection. Yeah. Um, obviously, like I just said, the Elsie Cook thing. You had that Netflix documentary, which yeah. people just think, I mean, it's a bit of a mad story. Like when you realise who everyone was and what kind of really happened and everyone was kind of like, that's that's not Sam Cook. It's a bit of an out there story. But then the film coming out, um, the uh, One Night in Miami. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice went there. I'm not emotional. One night in Miami, and um, I've been to see the theatre production of it some years ago, yeah. sort of a couple of times um, in London, and um, you know that's such a four powerful men um, that you know things were building, and sadly, um, you know, I think Ali got sent got sent to prison. Mm. Sam Cook, Cook got killed. Malcolm X got killed. The the American football player's career just maybe I don't know if it fell to plan I can't really remember but how these four powerful guys come together and um yeah this it's worth checking and the guy who plays Sam does a really good job um mm. so yeah it feels like the legacy grows the family do a lot to keep it going but it feels like there's a nice round off of the Sam Cook story being told yeah for sure well mate Thank you so much for coming on, buddy. It's been really good. Come on another time just to talk about whatever, really. Dude, yeah, big time. Things, is it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> big time. Um, good. Right. A Feast on Sorrows out on the 11th of August. We'll be talking about it then. You'll be tuning in, hopefully, mate, to get our thoughts 
I'm sure. Um, next week, no we've got... Uh, no pressure. Next week, we've got new Guided by Voices. Yeah. One of your favourites, isn't it? New Guided by Voices. Talk about New Seven Dust as well. That's out. And yeah. um, Jay Jail's album came out the other week, who I was a big fan of. I don't know if you guys know Jay Jail, but he's really good. So we'll probably do his album next week as well. Go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash True Cult Pop over there. You'll be getting Honey Crack and Entombed at last. Together at last. Uh, the magic duo. The 18-year-old Gaz is very happy about that combo. Yeah, I know, yeah. Two things you unironically love with all your funny little heart. Uh, lads, it's been a pleasure. Always. Um, cracking. Thanks, Thanks so much, Joe. Joe. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you very yeah. much. It's been a been a privilege to talk about a passion of mine. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, cheers, Gaz. I'll see you later as well. See you Can't sooner, wait. innit? Looking forward to it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.